presents. Right over here, Charlie. is over but we have to go back so hang on to your diapers because it's the lost rewatch podcast here and it has arrived you all everybody's oh my goodness season two episode 12 fire plus water mike you're looking great in that outfit uh commercial ready for sure i didn't realize we were recording lost today you just caught me sans toilet paper and scrounging through my voltron toys yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and this is how you're coping uh with the, the toilet paper crisis you being a new father and all uh relatively new father you yeah, have what's uh, good for the goose is good for the grown-up goose are you the are you the gander I, I I don't know. I guess our family's the gander. I, what's the Gosling? What's good for the Gosling is good for the uh, goose. What's good for Ryan Gosling is good for us all. Oh my God! Uh, anything to to get through uh, fire plus water here, which is the episode of Lost that I have long said is the worst episode in Lost history. Is that true? Is that false? We will debate it. We will get into it today. On the Lost Rewatch podcast, as we are talking about the third ever Charlie Pace flashback, the one in which he and the other members of Drive Shaft get into diapers, get into a giant-sized crib. This is like the cats of Lost. Yes, it really is. Like, (laughs) honestly, if they had dressed up as cats for that commercial... I think if it was like you all every catties, that would have been less disturbing to me than you all every buddies. I mean, it would just I, I be you all every you all every kitties. I I don't I don't know if anyone's ever called it a, a you're a caddy like you're acting caddy, uh, but do you call it a caddy or a kitty? I don't know. I guess you're the cat owner, so you can tell me what the parlance is. That would make sense. Maybe it'd be a little less. I don't know, demoralizing to have them advertise kitty leather while dressed up as cats <laughs> than diapers as babies. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's it. That's if they were, like, successful with this commercial. In the alternate universe where uh, where Liam didn't, like, bungle the job and Driveshaft was so successful that the parent company of You All Everybody's uh, then hires them to, to advertise their litter as well. And then they dress up in cat costumes. And they're just, like, peeing on the litter. It's like a very like know, to, to X-rated fair, well, commercial. We're gonna get to it later on. Like it might have been a saving grace that they were not associated <laughs> with Butties, considering that like Jamie Lee Curtis has had a very great career, but like we all kind of associate with her with the yogurt that makes you poop, right? Like just saying when you do brands, that brand comes back to bite you. Is is that what you think of first when you think of Jamie Lee Curtis? I as of recently, yes. 
Um, I don't know. I want to give Jamie Lee Curtis more respect than the yogurt that makes you poop. And doesn't all food make you poop if, if it's doing its I don't job? Have, I mean, Hurley would tell you that certain foods do and certain ones do yeah, not. Yeah. Uh, well, Speaking we, of loads to drop. <laughs> yeah, we got to talk about that <laughs> when we get there a little bit later because, wow, lost you dirty. Um, speaking of dirt. But this is Fire Plus Water. This is an event episode for sure, uh, at least as far as podcasting is concerned. I think the popular consensus on Lost is, what's the worst episode of Lost? It's the Jack's Tattoos episode. That's the easy answer. Uh, it's the answer that gets cited most often. I, for, for years now, have been out on a ledge saying that is not the worst episode of Lost. It serves a purpose. We'll talk about that purpose later on. The worst episode of Lost is the one where Charlie is maybe back on heroin, maybe not. Uh, in flashback, he goes into diapers, and it's terrible. <laughs> But have I just been kind of slandering the episode unnecessarily, or have I been correct uh, all this time? Uh, because I gotta say, Mike, I I often skip Fire Plus Water when I'm doing mm-hmm. a rewatch, and I actually, having rewatched it and like taking notes on it and like doing it the way that we watch an episode of Lost for Down the Hatch, it's a very active experience. I know, at least in in my annotation process, and I'm sure as well for you, Mike, um, that like I, I really start to study it on a more granular level. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I've ever done that with Fire Plus Water before, to the point that as I was like kind of like stopping down to watch it, I did have this feeling, sort of like in the way that Charlie has visions all throughout the episode, uh, of when was the last time I watched this? This all like almost feels like an episode of Lost I haven't seen before. Like mm-hmm. in the Lost episode of Lost. Like to me, and and it's no coincidence that we'll, when we get to the feedback and when we get to the others that we have a lot of deleted scenes to talk about from this episode. But this like kind of feels like a deleted episode of Lost. This is probably the episode of Lost I have lo- uh, watched the least. Mm. So it felt the freshest in some ways. And so like I felt like I was now coming to Fire Plus Water with an opportunity, with an opportunity uh, to examine it at a level I haven't examined it before. And I'm not going to show up here and be like, Fire Plus Water is secretly a great episode, man! <laughs> oh my god, Galaxy Brain! Um, but is it not as bad as I've uh, given it credit for? I think that's probably my takeaway. Uh, And I think that we will stop down along the way and I will try to find the moments where I'm like, I don't think this is that bad. (laughs) Yeah, so it's interesting because I almost have the opposite trajectory. Because coming in... Adrift was my fire plus water. Right, right. right. The episode that time and time again, I'm like, I do not like this episode. I will skip this episode many times. And going through it, I'm like, okay, there are some irredeemable moments, but there are some nuggets in there. And investigating fire plus water, I had a lot of first impressions I remember leaving this episode. At the time this episode aired, I was a big Charlie fan. Still, I think it was still from that association with the Lord of the Rings franchise, but I just remember feeling so so terrible for Charlie in this episode, so angry at Locke. I feel like there is some emotions like that manifested through this episode, but the the more times I've taken a look at it, the more I've realized (laughs) just not a good look for Charlie, both in the diapers and in the actions that he does on the island. I personally, in examining this episode, actually found it a worse episode than I remember, just because I feel like this is an episode with a lot of missed opportunities, personally. Uh, and I think we can certainly talk about maybe some things that were done that I don't necessarily agree with, and that in the grand scheme of loss may not necessarily play well. 
you're talking about deleted scenes. And yeah, this I don't think it's coincidental. This will be one of the big episodes of Lost that we'll get into the supplementary material. Because when you look at what was left on the cutting room floor and what was left in the edit, it makes you scratch your head a little bit. A little bit, a little bit. Um, let's talk about it. Like we could, we could, we could keep, we could just keep circling the drain of like, is this good or is this bad? Is it better than remembered? Is it worse than remembered? But I think let's just talk about it brick by brick, and then uh, <laughs> uh, there's a there's a there's a diaper joke in there. Uh, let's 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 unpack the diaper and see what's inside. Is no, it, well, it's is all gonna it, be stinky it, if we're unpacking a diaper. Just to it, warn you, is it clean or is it messy? Is it somewhere in between? Like, is it is what what is the quality of what's inside the diaper? It's no matter what, it's shit. But like how. Right. bad is the shit yeah like what did this baby eat uh, and that's gonna that's gonna determine what God. gets produced i can say from firsthand experience yes yes well i i did work as a as a nursery school teacher uh, at the start of my career it was my first job out of college uh and i was like the diaper teacher uh like i was like what? the i wasn't the diaper teacher but i was like the assistant teacher whose like sole responsibility it felt like anyway was like all right we're back from the walk change the diapers so i probably changed like 200 diapers in my life. Uh, certainly nowhere near uh, comparison to a, to a parent. Uh, but I, I am familiar with the experience, and it is unpleasant. And uh, you're, you're, you're a saint for, for doing what you must be doing every day, Mike. Oh, thank you, Mike. Halo has now appeared over me like it does with Claire <laughs> and Charlie's mom. Yeah, what if I... What, is that what's happening right now? Am I looking at Fire Plus Water and having some sort of strange quarantine vision where the episode is now appearing to me with a halo and I'm, like, rushing to the edge of the water at nighttime with the episode in my hands? I'm like, I have to save the episode! Right. I and have then we're gonna, to save Fire Plus Water! The feedback's gonna come in and you're gonna press stop and then promptly find yourself standing at the shore yeah. holding this episode being like, oh my god! I don't know. What? This this could be a ride. This is going to be a ride. So it's going to be a ride. Let's, let's, be a ride. Go, let's go on the ride. Fire plus water. Let's go forth into the jungle. Uh, of course, also just the business. Down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com for your feedback. We've got feedback to get into later on. We should probably show. let you know at the top here. Uh, we're going to go into full spoilers about the TV show Lost. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In case you haven't heard that that is a thing that we do. Uh, Fire plus water directed by Jack Bender. So there you go. Uh, in, in great hands with Jack Bender, uh, veteran director of Lost. Uh, writers Edward Kitsis and Adam Horowitz. Uh, I think a lot of like the times when like I I paint them as like the guys responsible for like the shittier episodes of Lost. It's a lot of it is like sense memory association with this one. Uh, mm-hmm. Like they're the writers of Fire Plus Water, so they're you know they're they're responsible for some of the worst uh, stinkers of the bunch. I mean I don't know. We're gonna find out how stinky it is. Uh, original air date January twenty fifth two thousand six. It centers on Charlie Pace. Uh, let's do a down the hatch series Bible entry for Charlie's brother Liam. Uh, who we have not seen in, in quite a bit of time, and Liam is going to be all over this episode. Uh, this is from the great Ben behind the curtain who writes, Born to be a bloody rock god, Liam Pace is part Liam Gallagher, part Keith Richards, 100% wanker! More talented than Charlie, Liam never passes up an opportunity to remind his younger brother that their band wouldn't succeed without him. But when Liam descended into the life of a heroin addict, he watched his grip on both Driveshaft and his girlfriend, Karen, slip away and watched Charlie take both. Now clean, Liam has been plotting revenge on Charlie, planning not only a way to get Karen back, but also a way to make Charlie disappear Forever, Ooh, the, ben like bo- the, ben like the, the Ben behind the Ben behind the curtain finding a way to make Fire Plus Water infinitely worse. Uh, to have like Liam Pace suddenly responsible for the disappearance of Oceanic Eight One Five—that's a mythology breaker. Could you imagine if Charles Widmore 
calls Leanne like, oh, good, everything's coming to plan. The planes disappeared. <laughs> Awful. Woof. Um, all right, let's get into the episode. Uh, uh, we have some time immediately to talk about uh, about Liam because Charlie, it's, it starts, it's like a hybrid flashback dream sequence. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Christmas morning, and baby Charlie's got his little bunny shoes on, and uh, Ralphie from A Christmas Story wishing that was all he had to wear. Do you think uh, uh, baby Charlie shot his eye out on a piano string after oh, his mom maybe. warned him against it? They, thank God he did. Maybe that's what happened to Billy Wallace. Uh, it's Christmas morning. Uh, Charlie's there. It's snowing outside. All the presents are for Liam. Liam is there. He's got a sweet Voltron. Oh, my yeah, God. Well, I'm glad you didn't do an accent to that because I'm very sure that much like the original actor who played Liam, I'm pretty sure kid Liam just did not attempt a British accent whatsoever. Yeah, he's just like, yo, Voltron. Oh, my God. Radical, dude. Uh, and at first you feel bad for Charlie, and we listened to a little bit at the top of the podcast. Where are my presents? Where are my presents, Mommy? Uh, and she goes, right over here, Charlie. Uh, sorry about the voices. We'll try not to do that again. Uh, and he looks, and he's got a piano, Mike. And, like, so at first you're feeling terrible for Charlie because it seems like Liam got all the presents. But Charlie got a piano! Yeah. Thousands of dollars! That's price disparity between what Charlie got for Christmas and what Liam got for Christmas is crazy. Yeah, I'd say if a hundred of those Voltron jaws did a Voltron and formed a Super Voltron, (laughs) it would be just about the cost of that piano. (laughs) What if it was a Voltron piano? That'd be sick. I mean, it'd be easy, easier for transport, right? Yeah. Like, it's, I mean, the piano's going to make its way out into the surf eventually, but, uh, you know, and, and I mean, now we sort of get to a little bit of a peek into, I don't know, I wonder how much of this initial scene obviously is going to turn super dramatic with the Pace family household, but if we're looking into this as, like, Charlie's psychology behind his own upbringing... Seems like a lot of pressure for Mama Pace to put on him, considering that, like, she seems to have an ulterior motive when she presents this piano to her son. Yeah. Uh, Also, this episode does commit the crime of, like, uh, implausibility with the piano slash uh, disrespectful to the equipment of, like, throwing the piano out into the middle of the ocean. Uh, It's just, it's hard to watch that. Uh, Just, like, knowing how expensive and difficult pianos are to transport that that is what's happening to the poor piano that's been consigned to the fate of being doused in the ocean for the sake of fire plus water. Yeah, but I would like, say that it's, it's basically like if <laughs> Vanessa Carlton's piano from A Thousand Miles like got scrapped or sold wow. in an auction. Wow, uh, that's very sad if it's Vanessa Carlton's. Uh, Vanessa Carlton cues his piano. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, that really got you. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, man. Making my way downtown. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Downtown. That's another great song in Lost Lore. Uh, Yeah, and then, like, are we supposed to believe that Charlie's uh, childhood piano follows him throughout his life? Like, is it the same piano that goes to his his flat in in London? I would Um, imagine so. I think, and I've never owned a piano, so people who have uh, can sound off. Like, I think, like, the cost of moving the piano is, like, not insignificant. Um, so, like, you're almost, like, if you're moving it around, like, you're better off just, like, selling the thing. Well, I wonder if there's a bit of nostalgia there. I mean, we know that Charlie, uh... How does he have the money point, for it, though? Is he yeah. just, like, spe- he's funneling all of his drive shaft money into it? I can imagine so. I think so, Like, you know, heroin drive- and piano moving services. 
Exactly. Like, those are his two main priorities in life at this moment. I mean, uh, as someone who did grow up playing piano, we bought a piano, nestled it promptly in the basement of our house, and did not touch it until my parents had to move a couple of years ago. So, yeah, I feel like those who might come into bloody rock on money might have the ability to move pianos, but I feel like otherwise you just sort of stick it there. I wonder how many times during, like, Pace Family Christmas parties was Charlie trotted out to have to play something on the piano. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure every every single one. Um, but this is when his mom's saying, Father Christmas must have known how talented you are. You're special. Someday you're going to get us out of here with your music. Uh, and then the dream starts to really take a turn <sighs> towards the nightmarish. Uh, as Liam... Uh, Liam in a in a diaper is playing Ugh. with Voltron, <laughs> and he says, "Come on, baby brother, play us some music. Change my diapy, change my nappy." I'm Liam made a boom boom, Charlie. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta clean me, baby brother. Uh, and then we get a uh, sort of an appearance, the introduction of Daddy Pace. We will get a full one once he throws Charlie in the water in greatest hits. But instead, we have like. Faceless, hey, ain't saving nobody. Yeah, yeah, with his, like, a bloody butcher's knife that he's just, like, carving stuff up. Um, and so, yeah, it's just very messed up. Now it's it's uh, Dominic Monaghan is back as Charlie, and he's like, wait, what's going on? I'm so confused. Uh, and then he starts playing a little bit of that song we'll hear more of later. Uh, I, the, the, the Funny Now song, uh, the lesser-known drive shaft hit. Uh, the drive shaft hit that never was, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's he's back on the beach. The piano is on the beach. We're on the island, and Aaron is screaming somewhere in the distance. Uh, and it's actually coming from the call is coming from inside the piano. Uh, and then there's the whispers. He's hearing the whispers, and then he's looking towards the jungle, and there's whispers. And he then looks out at the ocean, and the piano is in the ocean, and that is traumatic enough to cause Charlie to wake up from this very strange dream he's having. All right, so let's talk about this. So I think this is going to be the Kickstarter to the big question of the episode, left purposely vague by the people that made this episode, was Charlie using? Right. Uh, or was this a manner of the smoke monster futzing with him just to sort of like stir the pot? Or was this just a freaky dream that we've seen before that, you know, we've seen Claire do it in the past. We've seen Locke do it in the past. Was this just Charlie's turn? Right. Uh, Yeah. And that's like the argument that he's going to get into with Locke later on in the episode where he's like, Kate sees a horse in the jungle and you're not going to buy that I'm having these weird visions. Like, this is the strange island place where things happen. You're John Locke. You know this stuff is happening, and Locke's going to shoot back at him. Uh, it's hard to trust you anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so the episode wants you to ask those things, and the show is never going to give you a clear answer on whether or not Charlie was using, um, other than what Charlie is saying and the fact that we never see him use. Um, you do see him when he when he baby naps Aaron uh, towards the end of the episode, like, he's, like, pale as a sheet. Like, he does not yeah. look good. He looks bad. Um, he looks like he could be overdosing. So there's the ambiguity. I think it's uh, not unlike some of Damon Lindelof's future works. Um, there is, like, some room for interpretation uh, where, like, you get to answer the question however best satisfies you. I want to believe Charlie Pace. So I'm just going to Same. choose to believe Charlie Pace uh, because the show leaves it open uh, and you can choose to believe him or not. Uh, and we have seen plenty of evidence that the island is a freaky deaky place, as you like to say. Uh, so why not? Why not just go with it? Uh, poor Charlie is just getting messed with by the by the 
the powers that be on the island. That being said, when he wakes up, I, I'm just not sure why Charlie thinks his dreams are so prophetic. You know, because I, I can't remember how much Claire divulged to him about the dream that she had. But as soon as he wakes up, he like immediately goes like, the baby's in trouble. I've got to save the baby. And this is not in a moment where people will actually tell him in the dream to save the baby. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like if I had a dream where my wife was in mortal danger, I wouldn't immediately wake up and be like, my God, the, where's Angela? Something's happened. Have you I never, have you never, her. have you never had a dream like that before? Because I definitely have. Like, I've definitely had dreams where like, um, where like someone and I got into like a massive fight or something terrible happened to somebody that I care about. And I wake up and it was so traumatizing that my instincts are all like, I need to check on that person immediately. Uh, whether it, whether it's Emily or whether it's like a friend who lives close by or a friend I haven't checked in with in a long time, I've absolutely had that experience. So that sensation is not um, unrealistic to me. I think that that sensation is very realistic to me. And the other things that I would say in in support of Charlie in this episode are one, he is a recovering heroin addict. Or at mm. least, like, he was a heroin addict and maybe continues to be, you know, continues to, to be using, like, he's, like, a, uh, a newly reactivated heroin user because he found the stash from the airplane. Or he is still within, like, a month of a years-long heroin bender uh, of, of being away from that. Um, and he's in, on a deserted island where he doesn't get to go inside except for the place with the button uh, where the things are beeping. And it doesn't seem like he tends to go there very often. Uh, he's malnourished. Uh, he's just been cut off from the one person who seemingly found value in him and his entire life has been upended. Uh, and so like, he's already pretty depressed at this point and he's, uh, you know, recovering from this long time, uh, you know, addiction of his and he's having a terrible dream and he's feeling like kind of useless. And I think one of the wisdoms that Locke does say later on in the episode is like, Charlie feels uh, like he can't save himself. So he needs to save somebody else. I think it's fairly hypocritical coming from Locke, and we'll talk about that. Um, And that is something that I'm turning around on as far as, like, the deepening of the John Locke character. Um, It's not pretty, but I actually think it's it's maybe pretty good for him thematically for this season. Um, That I, I think that all of that swirls together to help explain why Charlie is so frantic about all of this, why he's so concerned for Aaron. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point in terms of the timing, just because it's been so long since the issue has been squashed in episode time you know this was really encountered back in the moth homecoming on island stuff did not focus on charlie's addiction whatsoever so it's been you know more than a year for us watching but on the island it's such a shortened amount of time and i think that's another big reason why i think people uh definitely dislike the episode especially when it first aired is because it felt like so much time had passed to us. Why feel like you have to go back to this well? But I think you're pointing out an interesting thing is that, like, from a health perspective, Charlie is still in recovery. And who knows? Maybe we, we strike, like, a happy medium and say when he first found the statues, he was using a little bit. Maybe he, like, had a terrible night, realized he didn't want to do it anymore, and is now sort of, like, had a big misunderstanding that being said, sort of like what you're saying about Locke, I can understand Charlie's behavior, but I do not enjoy watching him do it whatsoever. Like totally. there, there are there's characterization behind it, but maybe unlike characterization of a character like Sawyer, where there's a, a reason why he's acting this way, and there sort of is like this, you know, light at the end of the tunnel of okay, I know what foundationally is going to inform it. it, it the way Charlie behaves in this episode, while 
justifiable from a certain perspective is just not particularly entertaining to me. Sure, absolutely. And I think that that is going to be the thing um, that that uh, keeps this pretty low above almost anything else for me. Is that it's like it's un- it's unpleasant to watch uh, right. a-, a lot of this stuff. Um, and yeah, like th- there is something just about like the way that like uh, Charlie like continues to like tell white lies that is just like really like kind of like bone chilling. Um, but I I do think and it's it's really fascinating for me just personally that the Charlie episodes I've had like these fairly like big reactions to not like mm. a, not enough to like have them like you know become like huge point getters or anything like that in my LVP LVP assessments or my my uh, 4.2 star assessments rather um but enough that like I'm reacting to them differently today and this thing right. that I that I that I say often on down the hatch of like lost meets you where you are uh and like this is the first time I'm experiencing fire plus water with like having like really looked in the mirror of being like you have addictive behavior. You have an addictive yeah. personality and like you really get into this stuff and it's not good for you. And like you flirt the line of disaster, you flirt with the line of disaster of like, yeah, I could probably get back into that. Like, yeah, that's probably not going to be so bad. Uh, yeah. Like I, I could just like do it for a little while. I won't be falling off the wagon. Um, and like tempting like those ideas, like playing with those ideas in my head and like watching Charlie, like justify a lot of his behavior is stuff that like I have felt within my own life recently that like I now finally have like the language to like look at and be like oh man that's no good uh like oh boy that's really bad and so i think like that's part of why like these are these are tough episodes for me to watch uh and so but like i i am actually seeing some of the behavior that charlie is exhibiting now that i would have just assigned as just like a shitty like treatment of the character and like an abuse of the character and it doesn't uh it does not play in line with what we know about charlie like that might have been like my take five years ago which would have been my take in the midst of like being like really into my stuff, uh, my stuff. Uh, <laughs> and like, and now like I just have a different take on it being, I can't say like on the other side of that stuff necessarily, but like being where I'm at with it right now, which is not using uh, and no intention of, of going back to it, but knowing myself well enough to know that like it's a slippery slope and knowing this kind of behavior well enough to know like it's easy to lie about some of this stuff. If, if, you, if, you, if you're an addict, like it's very easy to like behave in some of the ways that Charlie's going to behave in this episode. It actually feels relatively real to me. Um, and that is one of the big surprises of Fire Plus Water. I don't enjoy watching it. Um, but I think I do have a little bit more respect for the treatment of the character in this episode than I ever have before in watching this. That makes a lot of sense. And I mean, I don't want to, you know, compare these to two parallel things, but, you know, as we have been talking through the Hurley episodes, I have had a very similar experience where I think, I wouldn't say I necessarily wrote off the character before, but he definitely wasn't my favorite because it's like, oh, he's just a goofy person that they have all these, like, things thrust onto him. Uh, You know, he's just a, he is fun time Hurley. And I think... As I've come to terms with my own battles with mental illness and seeing sort of like the problems that Hurley faced both on and off the island. Like you can feel it more. Yeah. Yeah. You absolutely can feel it more. And I think even when the bad moments occur, it makes you see things through their eyes. And I think it allows you to really look through these characters eyes because I agree. You would think otherwise it would just be, oh, yeah, this is just bad writing for a character. But I do think part of that criticism maybe comes from the fact of, you know, if you don't experience what these characters experience, you don't necessarily know the mindset that they're coming from. So I 
absolutely feel you on that. And I, I think, you know, even I, I try to attempt to look at it through those eyes as well. And obviously, while I don't have uh, the experience that you do, I do feel like this episode does gain some more appreciation if you look at things through the eyes of Charlie as either a recovering addict or somebody who wants to be believed as not an addict or both, you know, desperation comes out of there. And I think, unfortunately, desperate measures cause some really unsavory behaviors to happen. Yeah, and it's also just not pleasant to watch. And yeah. that, that is a totally like valid reason to not like an episode. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of unpleasantness in this one. But I think there's some funny stuff here, too. So we'll be able to talk about both. Uh, so Charlie, after the dream, like he goes over, he's like, son, where's Claire? Where's Aaron? They're over there. And he goes and he looks, and Claire and Aaron are hanging out with Locke. They're having a good time. Like, uh, oh, Johnny boy. Yeah, and then Charlie does... Uh, there's some goofy stuff here. One definitely has to be Charlie literally walking backwards to skulk in the shadows <laughs> like he's Batman. <laughs> yeah. uh, like the Darth Charlie stuff, right? Oh, yeah, he's going to have a Sith hood later on. You know, it's just... It's, it's And we're going to like get into that again with the long con. Like, There's just like a couple of like Darth Charlie moments that are... Uh, have I ever told you about Darth Paiskis the Wise? <laughs> exactly. Just, you know, it's just kind of ridiculous. Um the next, uh, either the next day or later on, uh, when Claire's not with Locke, uh, Charlie's going to come to Claire. He's got some nappies. He's made some nappies. I uh, learned, do you think it was firsthand experience from his work with Butties, even though it was for only one day? Yeah, he probably figured out a trick or two. Maybe he was a diaper teacher as well, his it's first possible. job out of music <laughs> school. Diaper teacher. Yeah, he may have been. He may have been. But he's, he's made some nappies. Uh, he's trying to make some jokes. Has Aaron been asking about me? And Claire's like, hey, come on. Like... Thanks for the nappies, but, like, you shouldn't be here. This isn't okay. And Charlie's like, why? I should have told you what was going on before, but I'm sorry. I just wish that things could go back to the way they were before. And Claire says, there is no before. We were strangers on a plane. And we became friends. (laughs) And then I can't remember a good portion of it until a few episodes from now. Yeah. I wonder, I don't know, obviously, again, there was a reason behind why we get what we get here, and especially the strain on Charlie and Claire's relationship. Stragoy. And and maybe I am completely backseat rewriting this episode, but I wonder if there's something more powerful about Charlie taking a Claire or taking a lock. Because again, if we're coming in with the assumption that he isn't using, that like he was about to go destroy the statues, I wonder if there was something for Charlie bringing one of them with him to the stash and like saying i'm like help me destroy them Mm. you know this idea of like i'm going to show you because again this is charlie just being like please believe me i'm so sorry and actions speak louder than words and i wonder if charlie's decision to not do that either a is sort of a a writing choice they decided to not to go after unfortunately or b might hint to the indication that he was indeed using of, and all of his claims about wanting to destroy the stash were completely unfounded. I think whether or not he's using, he's got a guilty conscience about this. Uh, like, yeah, I think like, I think he's he he knows that you know hoarding the stuff is wrong. Uh, that hoarding the stuff is bad, and whether or not he's going out there uh, in the jungle to to clean things out on his own, like what he's going to tell Locke later uh, when Locke catches him red-handed, whether or not that's true. Um, the the fact that he uh, he's been you know squirreling these things away uh, and keeping them hidden away is not great uh, whether or not he's using and I think he he knows that um, and that feels very real yeah that feels like very real behavior uh, it, it definitely does like it would be great if he if if what he came to Claire with 
is, I'm sorry, I should have told you about the statue and what was in it, and now I'm going to tell you something else. I have a bunch of the statues. I, you know, I felt, I felt like I needed them. It made me feel safer. I was happy to have them. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to get rid of them, and I just want to be back in your life. Um, a, Claire has no reason to, to believe him or take him up on that. Uh, you know, she really did just meet him a month ago. You know, they're not married. Uh, so she has every right in the book to be like, yeah, but I'm not comfortable with that around my kid. And I'm so sorry. I don't even have to say sorry. Um, there's there's that piece of it. Um, but I think there's also where he's at in his recovery process. And now that like he's been re-triggered at the very least with the ability to like possess it again. Um, there's a reason that it's the, the word it's the word is possession. Right, like yeah. you know, he's got the heroin demons. Uh, you know, the the dreaded LVP point getter heroin is striking again. Ah, uh, it's almost like it's an entirely different entity and should be considered an entirely different character on it, its own. You know, I think he might be right about that. <laughs> there so. we go. The Piper's <laughs> finally being paid. Yeah, the sock is on the other foot. Uh, and so but one, but one is promptly off the foot. Yeah, as one well, is to off. Get that yeah. feeling. Yeah, just one sock. Textural contrast. Anyway, uh, so he's not happy that Locke's your friend now, right? Uh, and she's like, just get out of here. Get out of here. Uh, flashback time. Uh, there's a different baby in Charlie's life. It's baby Megan. Liam and Karen's baby. Ma- named after mom. Yeah, and uh, Charlie walks in with like his little sunglasses look. Uh, and I noted, because I was, I was reading through my notes on the moth, because I was trying to remember what the timeline is. And Liam said that, you know, Charlie and him were getting a fix when megan was born so i was just trying to figure out like do are both of these things still true was it that like they had a bender and charlie was just in a better place because i i feel like when charlie comes back he chastises liam for like using the entire night while charlie was not right yeah uh i think that like i don't know he he does i mean i don't know where he's at with all of that like is he has he not like I think that we can we can surmise that based on how Liam and Charlie separate at the end of this episode, that Charlie's desperation is going to get worse after Liam does what he does, right? Like, he's going to leave with, you know, the money, he's going to leave with the piano, and he's going to leave Charlie alone. And so I think the state of Charlie's uh, relationship with his addiction of choice probably just worsens like that's when you're getting into the the homecoming Homecoming. flashback yeah yeah i I don't know because that's another thing that i feel like is missing a bit from these flashbacks personally because it does seem like and i can understand again from the characterization perspective how it's a lot of stuff that's done to charlie particularly from the liam perspective and i don't know considering that the last thing we saw charlie do in this timeline was you know him pick up liam's heroin after liam basically says like you're nothing i'm everything and leaves the dressing room i would have liked to see a little bit of a continuation of that like you said like i don't feel like we need to go full homecoming but i am very very surprised this entire flashback we do not see charlie touch it once right like that just seems like i don't know it feels like we go a bit from zero to 60 and again maybe to your point maybe that sort of just does show the scale of addiction but i do feel like that was a bit of a key component that it felt like charlie was a bit of a gallant here when he at least should be goofing a little bit with his brother yeah so his brother uh who who charlie has told karen uh yeah he's on a he's a his his bus crashed he missed the plane next flight he'll be here soon and then he just like goes back to his flat and liam's just like strung out 
um, do you think is it egocentric or celebratory to put up your gold records in your own apartment (laughs) um somewhere in between uh i would say it's definitely egocentric for sure it's the why not both uh, I think I think like it's a little bit of like, hey, I'm pretty excited about this. This is cool. Look how far I've come, especially like, uh, you know, coming from a household where uh, only one of the paces could afford a Voltron. Um, yeah. You know, look how far they've come. Uh, so Ooh, what I, if we, we never see the apartment? What if it's located inside a giant Voltron? It's not impossible. Yeah. But which lion? Oh, yeah. it's a good question. Uh, and it's like. Like, Big Brother, I know you always wanted to live inside Voltron. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, and I'll do my thing and paint a giant Union Jack on the elevator door. Wait, is that a thing in uh, Big Brother? They want to live in a giant Voltron? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the themes of... Well, that's why they really had to get rid of uh, Big Brother UK, is because they were just spending far too much on the houses, uh, to the point where they finished with the big Voltron, and unfortunately I had to tear it down after. Are you serious? Or are you, no. I mean, yeah, because I would believe that. You could tell me just about no, that's, that's about more Big of a Big Brother, Brother Canada thing. Like, I think <laughs> if Big Brother Canada keeps going the way that it does, like, I think by Big Brother Canada 11, we're going to see a Voltron theme season. All right, so uh, Charlie is getting mad at, at, at Liam. Uh, he says, you have a daughter, by the way. Her name is Megan. And Liam had... I, I, I do appreciate this. Neil Hopkins, good actor. Uh, the sweet look on his face where he goes, after mom? And even Charlie kind of responds, like, yeah, after mom. Uh, it's a nice moment between the brothers, even though all of this is bad. Yeah, well, it sort of helps momentarily erase the fact that Liam was strung up at home instead of watching his own daughter's birth, or at least visiting his wife in the hospital. Yeah. Also, yeah. I would say good on Karen. Uh, maybe it's because of the circumstances of the birth, but the lovely Angela Bloom was a bit bed-stricken for a good number of days after Asher Bloom was born. So I don't know what the timeline is in terms of Charlie actually checking in here maybe that's another reason to fill in the plot hole as to them you know getting a fix the day megan was born but karen seemed to be right as rain as she's uh, shuffling around the hospital i mean uh it seems like a lost tradition that you give birth to a baby and then five seconds later you're standing <laughs> around and le- as if you were never pregnant uh, yeah exactly well what a world to live in this we saw, universe we, we saw that with claire now we're seeing that with karen uh i bet son is up and about like three minutes after giving birth to Gion. Oh, is that the sequel to Three Minutes? <laughs> yeah, three seconds. Three <laughs> seconds. Uh, all right, back on the island, uh, Sawyer is, like, getting stretched out by Kate. Uh, yeah, do you think do you think Jack gave Kate some physical therapy lessons, or maybe Kate has had her own experience with, not like, recently. Inj- injuries on the road that, you know, she's, uh, she's yeah, able maybe. to stretch it out? Or she's just completely futzing just to get closer with Sawyer. Yeah, like, it's all just uh, total hooey. She's just like, yeah, stretch out like this. This totally works. This is how it's going to happen. Uh, Hurley's gonna ask Sawyer, uh, tell me about Libby. Libby chick, she seems pretty cool. Uh, Sawyer gives him a little bit of guff over this. I mean, I think the guff is more so with the nickname of Java, which is rude. Like, I know kids could be like, you're acting like you're in junior high. Like, I don't know. I feel like Sawyer's, like, not acting like he's 11 years old. He's just sort of giving him the runaround. Also, is, does Hurley coin, like, make the term Taylor's canon in this scene? Because I'm pretty sure we hadn't heard the nickname until this point. Yeah, I think so. That's that's my recollection of it. I think this is the first time you're getting it on the show. Uh, Damon and Carlton were talking about it on the podcast, so Taylor's is canon. Uh, but for, for that to make it into the show, now it's now it's officially in-universe. Um, anyway, so, so that's the start of the little love connection. We're going to have more in a little bit. Um, Jack and Anna Lucia, they're coming out of the jungle. Sawyer says, wow, I keep seeing him walking out of the jungle. What's going on in there? <laughs> I mean, 
God only knows because army talk is retired yeah. for all. And that's the other thing about this too. I don't, I don't want to like uh, deviate too much, but I'm starting to realize that I think one of my issues with season two and this episode is is you know a bit contributed to that. And for lack of a better term for the the centric character in this episode, season two is very odd with pacing, especially yeah, compared sure. to season one. Considering that again, look at how. Uh, how last episode particularly the ending of last episode was it's building up to this big moment and we do not address it whatsoever that plot is not moved forward and look i can understand you have a lot of balls to juggle but it just felt like a missed opportunity to relegate it to a couple of times of jack and anna lucia walking out of the jungle where she's holding some sort of like weird umbrella and we don't hear what they say yeah um i think the pacing point is a good one uh about season two uh, season two has like these huge high moments of like uh, really big things are happening, um, but it also has these moments that like kind of all blend together to some mm-hmm. degree, or some like dropped moments. Um, I think that you're you're honing in on something that is, uh, in my opinion, unique to season two. Um, yeah. may- maybe some season six as well. Season four, I think the pacing is a little off, but that's largely because of the writer's strike impacting that. Uh, and then, you know, having a reduced episode order because of, uh, you know, circumstances beyond their control. Um, but the uh, the pacing in season two is is there's just something there's a, something a little wheel spinny, right? About yeah. some of like the flashback type stuff. Like I, I'll I'm obviously coming out in more in favor of Fire Plus Water than I expected to uh, by far uh, coming into to coming in and, and watching it this week. Um, but really, a lot of what we're chewing on thematically, it's fairly cyclical. And I think that that's fair within the context of, uh, of, a, of an addiction recovery story, because mm, yeah. uh, these things are often cyclical. But that that can be, uh, you know, rote storytelling to a certain degree, that a lot of like what we're getting in these flashbacks and what we're getting with the Charlie story is very similar stuff to the beats from the moth. Um, you know, like it, it really feels like the moth too, in, in some ways, uh, if like Locke was like being like a really mean mentor (laughs) instead of like the, the helpful mentor. Yeah, This this is is alternate universe moth. Well, you know, Locke has had it. He's pissed. Uh, and I, I think like there's, there's definitely like the, the, the sense of like lost is losing its way with the flashback stuff. I think it starts to lose it here in season two, even though season three is the one that's going to get those biggest accusations of like uh, season three is where like they had to stop doing the flashbacks. They needed to start moving into flash forward territory. They needed to get to the, uh, oh, to the place. Of Charlie flash forward. You know, they need, that's right. Uh, they needed to get to a place where they could start instituting some end game stuff, not Avengers. Uh, and uh, I get that. I think season two, really starts to highlight that even earlier than maybe we uh, give credit for. Because season two, you you remember if you were watching it live, um, just being so intrigued by the Dharma mystery and like what's in the hatch and like what's happening there and what does it mean? What are the ramifications um, that I think that you uh, and like the blast door maps and things like that, uh, that I think like stuff like fire plus water being just like sort of like it's there. It's characterizing Charlie. It's characterizing certain characters. And I think that that's stuff that I can appreciate more now. Um, but it is also just like part of like a valley of episodes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's just like sort of this like these flatlands that are here in this stretch of season two um, that can be just a little whatever to go through. Yeah, it's interesting because I do agree. And we talked about this. that Season two certainly has character moments, but I think they start to emphasize more of these grander mysteries and, and this plot specifically but they're still taking moments to focus on characters which i appreciate 
but it also really it's like shifting gears when you're driving stick for the first time you know like it's not going to be a smooth transition so then when we get big mythos building episodes like the 23rd psalm and the hunting party and it's like okay we got to backshift a bit and just focus purely on character with charlie you know i mentioned this last week and it comes in here that you know we just talked about one of what maybe two scenes that are character-based, not around Charlie, they really decided to focus completely around this and really drop everything around it, which, again, I understand if you're trying to build out an ensemble and devote time to as many characters as possible, but I think a downside of that is you're really shifting the momentum around from what you're trying to build up so that, you know, if you're binging all of these in a row, it's a bit of a weird pit stop you're taking while you're cruising down the interstate lost. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. So uh, Charlie is going to be like playing guitar off on his own. And then he hears Aaron crying out in the ocean again. Uh, and this is when we're going to, you know, this is obviously all still vision stuff, um, but he's going to go swim out into the ocean to save Aaron. So see, Charlie can swim. I was going to say, do you think uh, if this was a weird, different dream, like Joanna would come out of the surf and just drag him down yeah, with her? Maybe, maybe. That'd be cool. Like, oh my God, who is that? Oh, right, Joanna. Um, there's a little tickle of the piano uh, from Giacchino mm-hmm. here that I that I really appreciate. That's obviously uh, interplaying with the piano in the flashbacks. I think that that's a cool touch. Um, and then when he gets back to the shore, the strange thing happens and no not the you all everybody is not quite yet but uh, a weird thing happens and let's uh let's listen to it sound number one mom claire he's in danger you have to save him the baby's in danger you have to save him charlie the baby's in terrible danger he's in danger you have to save him he's in danger you have to save the baby. You have to save the baby. You have to save the baby. Charlie? What are you doing? What are you doing, man? What's going on? It's the middle of the night. What are you doing with the baby? I don't know. I don't know what happened. I'm sorry. He's okay, though. I, I had to scream. So, Claire laying the smackdown. I know, and that won't be the worst hit that Charlie has. No, no. So I will say that, you know, this episode, I'm going to come to terms with a lot of things that, like, unnerve me in this episode. I think that's another reason why I'm not a huge fan of it. And one of it is, you know, Josh, I thought that becoming a parent uh, would make me sort of, like, you know, completely stone-faced when it comes to children crying Quite the opposite reaction out of me. Even just listening to Aaron cry, like fake Aaron crying, dream Aaron crying, like my heart is like, Egh! like yeah. I, I don't know if it's just like a natural 
parental reaction now but that was definitely another reason why i'm not a huge fan of this episode personally is because like when his visions focus around a child crying whether in a piano or whether in a c-word cradle the second version third version of the raft it's just like just really gets my i don't know my heart beating in a very weird way but uh we have mama pace and claire embodying uh the paintings that we actually saw in the beginning of the episode which I you gotta save the, him charlie save him it, it's save the, the, baby, the baptism baptism of christ by uh andrea del verrocchio wow uh, very the, good Thank you. Uh, I learned a bit from Angelo last week. May he rest in peace. But <laughs> it's basically the the Baptist. It's, it's a story that Echo is going to tell later. The baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist, and apparently, uh, the, Claire and his mom are both like in the position of and representing the angels. And I will say, good and bad in this vision sequence. Good. I feel like the subtle work done on the two women almost made it look like a painting. Like there was some graininess to it. There's some texturization to it that made it feel like a painting. But big bad to that CGI dove, man. Not since the polar bear have we seen <laughs> some bad animal work. Yeah, but I I feel like I've been I've been such a such a cranky pants about this episode for so long to the point of just like kind of like refusing to engage it that now that I have to engage it because we're up to it in the podcast. Uh, I have to say, like Jack Bender, who's a painter, um, it's it's. Pretty nicely done for network TV. Yeah. Uh, like, it, it looks really weird. It's very out of place. And I think, like, you kind of can find yourself in a place where you just roll your eyes at this episode if you're just looking for a thing to roll your eyes at or if you're just in the mood for it. But if you're trying to like something, <laughs> you know? If <laughs> you, you're tr- you find straws and you grasp at them. You know? You and and, and I, I do think that, uh, like, I, I appreciate them going for something here. Um, like, I don't think that I can honestly say out of both sides of the mouth, like, I wish that Further Instructions, the Locke episode from <laughs> season three, where he's a pot farmer, I wish that that had been like a boon fever dream the entire time. Uh, I don't think that I can say that and also say um, that this is, like, too far. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, uh, at least they're going for something. At least they're trying to change up format a little bit. And if there's a sin... And I don't, I don't even know if it necessarily is. Like, it's the show still figuring itself out. It's a show literally trying to, like, tread water to stay alive and making 20-some-odd episodes of, of very complicated TV a year on network TV with a lot of pressure on their backs. Um, that, like, if they're going to fart out a couple of episodes every once in a while, that just sort of happens. And if this is going to be the quality of the fart, it's not so bad. Uh, and so I, th- I think that, like, the, the attempt to go for something here, like, Hurley stepping out looking like Jesus. I mean, that uh, is a great image. It's a, it's a fun image. You know, like, it's, it's unusual. It's different. It's not happening every week. It's not happening ever again. In some to, to some degree, and one of the things that we do here on Down the Hatch is like reevaluating images and moments through the lens of having seen the whole series. Hurley is going to be the new man in charge mm-hmm. at the end of this thing. So early, early seeding of that, if you want to call it that, uh, it's all right. <laughs> it's. I mean, I think that the most entertaining visuals definitively come from the from these visions understandably so like between the texturizing on this i really like the image of charlie playing the piano out in the ocean i think that's a fun little symbology of like his own own personal proclivities to like connection back to his family and needing to save his family to like wanting to save his on island family however misguided it may be i think that there's a certain amount of that in here uh i think that there's a certain amount of like actual um 
I don't know. There, there's some choices that are made in this episode that I think are are worth stopping down and giving at least a golf clap to, even if there's yeah. no island golf here. Yeah. Um, let, let's let's get, let's keep going because there's going to be other opportunities to to stop down for this stuff. Um, we're going to see Hurley. He's playing cards with Sawyer. They're playing blackjack. They're having a funny conversation about the rules of blackjack. Hurley's like, "Wait, why aren't you hit?" Uh, he's like, "Yeah, you, you got to assume that I'm going to go over." Uh, I also like to live dangerously. Very, very awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here. Who is Oprah? Was that Kate? Uh, <laughs> this is my wife, Oprah. And I think, well, it's actually a, a really nice, fun, small moment from Sawyer too, though, because this is a guy. This shows like Sawyer's natural pessimism, right? Of like, of course, I, I have to assume that I'm going to bust. And Hurley's a natural optimist of like, put down a card. Like you never know. Make your own luck. Maybe it'll, maybe an ace will come up, and then you'll be able to, you know, take my my fictional money, even though I'm probably putting real money on the line because I'm a gajillionaire at this point and it's setting up a bit for us you know re-exploring sawyer next episode again in the long con but i thought this was a nice little small moment and and we're also exploring a relationship in this episode in these granted two scenes that we haven't really talked about before outside of sawyer's snide comments towards hurley which i think is fun and maybe a bit of sawyer taking hurley's dude you need the points advice to heart of like okay you looked out for me there so i'm gonna look out for you here yeah, I really enjoy uh, Sawyer and Hugo when they get to have some time together. And so here's a scene with them together right now. Uh, and then uh, there's Libby across the way. She's got some laundry. And Sawyer's telling Hurley, go go help her out. Go help her out with the laundry. Go go with her to the hatch and help her out with the laundry. This is the moment. Um, and he proceeds to say something that is by far and away the filthiest thing I have heard on Lost, maybe ever, if not certainly up to this point. We just pulled the quote from Sawyer. Uh, and if you haven't watched the episode in a while, if you just rely on the podcast, you need to imagine that Josh Holloway as James Sawyer Ford has the biggest shit-eating grin on his face as he delivers this line very slowly to Hurley. I'm sure you've got a load you need to drop in, don't you, Jethro? How did they get this one past standards and practices? Like, to the point that even, like, Josh Holloway, like, can barely get the words out without cracking up of, like, this is some filthy-ass stuff for primetime. Oh, my God. Wow. And it's so, like, it's just so lascivious. I need you to play it one more time. Oh, boy. It's unbelievably crazy. All right. Second load. Here we go. Sure, you've got a load you need to drop in, don't you, Jethro? I, I, I can't believe that the show gets away with that. And it's just <laughs> dripping. I don't know if it's dripping with detergent or something uh, else, but it's uh. just like, like, it, like it's one of those I think things. That's hair gel, Mike. Oh boy! Oh no! Please, <laughs> there's something about Libby. <laughs> oh God! I mean, it's just crazy. Is, is Sawyer Woogie? I, oh god no uh rash man is wookie yeah exactly got, uh, <laughs> and he com- he'll come out at the end like i'm the one that's actually in charge of the yeah. island yeah exactly uh i guess because like i just don't encounter this episode very often that i was really taken aback by this line i had i had no memory of it whatsoever uh and so what i i was like dr- i was drinking coffee watching the episode did you legitimately do a spit take i very nearly did like oh, i almost started choking on it because like excuse me did this really just happen? So uh, anyone who needs an explainer for why this is a ridiculous uh, thing for Sawyer to say here, 
you're going to have to ask uh, an adult. Uh, clearly, yeah. there are no adults do, on this podcast. Do not ask the diaper teacher and his friend. <laughs> so uh, I at least have to give Fire Plus Water some reconsideration <laughs> for getting away with this. Because uh, that's crazy. That is a crazy line. I can't believe that exists within Lost Lore. Well, I'm sure you've got a load you need to drop in, don't j- you, Jethro? I wonder if maybe... Maybe this was was the seed, for lack of a better term, of this episode. And they're like, okay, we need to disguise it. Let's obscure it by building out this whole very controversial drug storyline. So everyone will ignore it of, wow, there won't be articles the next day that said, did Lost really say load? Uh, No, it'll all be about Charlie spiraling. It's crazy. It's really, really crazy. Uh, You know, 14 years uh, past the airing of this episode, and I'm only just now realizing, like, oh my god, how salacious. Yeah, this is really going to be, when we we do the (laughs) re-rewatch, we're going to have to find the dirtiest lines in all Lost now. Yeah, for sure. Well, actually, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get to a more, I think, blunt... Dirty line. Yeah, which is which future. is one I which is one I remembered, but uh, this one uh, I had just completely forgotten. So we just had to pull that uh, word choice uh, phrasing. Um, all right, so Sawyer's gonna call <laughs> go to the, the van. Yeah, go to the van. <laughs> so Sawyer uh, Hurley's gonna go to the van, uh, or at least to the hatch with with Libby, because Sawyer's like, uh, "This is your moment, Hugo." Hey, Libby, and then he ducks into the. Oh, tent. I love that. Such a, yeah. it's so silly, but so I'm like Libby. Yeah. And she yeah. just kind of looks over and I guess, I don't know, maybe Libby doesn't have great ears from a distance because she just thinks that Hurley was the one who said hi instead of Sawyer. Uh, the image of Hurley just like s- sitting there in the sand and just like kind of waving at Libby. That's a great shot. Yeah, it's a, it's a great, great shot. This is a good Hurley episode. I think this is a real cute Hurley episode. Is Fire Plus Water a good episode? No, it is not. We are not going that far. Josh, we talked Neri a minute ago about Sawyer asking Hurley to drop a load. <laughs> There's something that Sawyer would say. It's just not something you would expect Sawyer to say in prime time. Yeah, but you can't take like a garnish off a terrible desk and be like, huh. This could be the best meal I've ever had no, in my I'm life. Not, I'm not saying that, but I'm I'm saying like the shot of Hurley like waving back at this is funny. This is like genuinely funny. Yeah, but this is 30 seconds out of a 42 minute episode. Yeah, but I think we're talking about there's a few like 30 second like melon balls that we're scooping out of the thing that are t- tasty little snacks. But the rest of the melon <laughs> is rotten as all hell. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that it's an unsalvageable melon. It's mostly an unsalvageable <laughs> melon. I'm not eating out of that tray. You're going to point to that melon and be like, well, I got the balls out of there, and I will refuse the melon. All right, all right. So in the jungle, uh, Charlie wants to talk to Locke. uh, And just like the the difference in tone between uh, Locke here with Charlie, uh, because he heard what Charlie did, that he took the baby, he was standing in the ocean. uh, And he obviously knows about the statues, um, because episodes earlier he had figured it out. He was giving Charlie the, the opportunity to talk about it. Charlie didn't talk about it. Um, and this is when he like is more blunt about, are you using, are you using heroin again? Uh, and, uh, Charlie says, Kate's seen a horse. Nobody says anything. Pretty much everyone's seen Walt wandering around the jungle. So, okay, nice. People are sharing. Uh, people are talking I, about I, that. I think it's just through Hurley. I yeah. think Hurley's just primarily the disseminate. Law, Earth's prophecy, may he rest in peace, has come true. I think Locke's first response to Charlie is there something you want from me, Charlie? Is, to your point, extremely indicative of how differently he approaches this relationship, right? Like, he was 
almost like a sponsor to Charlie slash a guider, a guidance to Charlie in his own walkabout back in the moth. Here is like a combination of impatience and anger at Charlie of like, I have other things that I'm working now and you had one job and you apparently have screwed it up. Yes, I'm jumping to conclusions, but all evidence is pointing at it, including the fact that I asked you a question and you completely deviated from the point. Yeah. Um, I think the thing about about Locke is like, yeah, he was like Charlie's quote unquote sponsor uh, in that episode back in, in season one. Uh, but he he's not a sponsor, right? Like he yeah. is not a drug counselor. He doesn't know this world like this is not his training. Um, he's the he's the guy who knows like a little bit about a lot uh, and thinks that he's the person who's got the answers. But we have seen time and time again, the ways in which John Locke is a, you know, is a guy who fails a lot. And is a guy who gets really angry and frustrated uh, when he fails. And I think here, like he's seeing like, I didn't think that I needed to worry about the Charlie thing anymore. Right. And I have to worry about the Charlie. So I so I failed there. And so a lot of the things that he's going to assign to Charlie in this episode are going to be like projections himself of him yep. like being furious that Charlie did like he, he didn't ultimately heed my wisdom. He didn't ultimately become the, the moth that I like helped him become. It's very ego driven for Locke for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think a lot of it is coming from the fact of Locke's at a place right now where it hasn't really clicked into place in a major way, but a big piece of the John Locke arc this year is going to be his increasing frustration with, so this is my destiny? Right. To push a freaking button? Um, And so I think that he's pissed. Uh, And much in the same way that he's going to say, like, Charlie's projecting onto Aaron, uh, trying to save Aaron because he can't save himself. Uh, Locke is projecting onto Charlie that, like, uh, I'm so mad that Charlie Charlie uh, is is broken because he can't be so mad at himself for being broken anymore. Like he has to like the island fixed me, right? Like this place fixed me, so like I can't I can't possibly still be broken. Um, like refusing to look that in the eye almost ever uh, up to this point. Um, I think I think that that's that's where he's coming from here, and I, I think like to his credit, when uh, when Charlie says like we burned everything, it's all gone. Um, I think Locke is pretty fair with Charlie here when he says trust is a hard thing to win back. Claire needs time. You should leave her and the baby alone for for a little while. Um, I I think that that's a fair thing to to respond with. Completely. And I think that the circumstances have also changed from the moth in that Charlie is now in proximity to a child, to a baby. And this is what Claire sort of, that's the argument that you gave in the 23rd Psalm, right? It's like, the situation's different now than just Charlie sort of milling about the camp in withdrawal looking for his guitar. He is now sort of secondhandly and slowly growing further and further in that outer circle, but he is to a certain extent, you know, in care of a life. And that is not trusting. And you almost feel like, and I think Locke definitely feels like, to your point, it's sort of like his responsibility, or at least partially so, almost, to look out for this child, especially knowing how it could be in danger given what Charlie's experiencing. So I can also understand from that perspective how circumstances have changed just on the island between times dealing with Charlie, which is another reason why these, his approach to this situation is a bit more short-tempered than before. Uh, all right, so we get into another flashback, and here it is, baby. This Woo! is the one. This is the one. Uh, it's time to film a commercial. Uh, drive shaft lined up in their, in their special VIP chairs, ready to go, dressed to the nines, and by the nines, I mean the nine months old, because <laughs> they are they are wearing their own little nappies and getting little rattles and getting like little like baby hats. Uh, some of them, not all of them, and they're being thrust into this massive crib 
which is why we're saying with a green screen in the background, which is why we're saying it's very cats-like. Mm-hmm. Uh, with like the the size of the set in proportion oh, to what I, their baby bodies are supposed to be. Like. Should we should we get, should we pay someone to edit buttholes onto the you all everybody? No, commercial? God, no. <laughs> Make this no. even worse. No way, no you way. You all every buttholes. Well, no way. Um, but yeah, we already heard the song, but obviously we got to hear it again. Sound number three, play it. And action. merciful cut (laughs) all right josh i have to come clean about something to you this is something i haven't told my wife or my parents anybody in the world wow the powers that be so definitely just tell me uh, and not all of the people listening to this podcast there is something that i've discovered in the myriad pieces of pop culture that i've taken in really really unnerves me sends my skin crawling like makes me sort of break out in a flop sweat for some reason makes me feel disproportionately uncomfortable to the innocence that's being portrayed on screen that thing is adults acting and dressing like (laughs) babies i don't know why but every time i see it my heart goes into palpitations my legs start jittering i need to get up and do something i feel like i can't be sitting there i feel like what i'm watching is wrong it's not right i'm a pretty open person you know but this is where i draw the line that's your line that's my line who are you coming with as long as you're not wearing diapers you're fine with me yeah so i'll admit that yes some people might find this scene comical. This scene is one of the most cringeworthy to me in Lost history because its highlight are four grown men <laughs> wearing diapers. I think now I love the scene. <laughs> I think I love it. I think I love it. <laughs> I think I do. I think I love it. I've cited this as like the reason why this episode is bad. But look, life is hard right now (laughs) for everybody. Uh, Like I've had like a fairly rough week this week and watching this, I could not stop laughing. And now hearing how personally triggering it is for you (laughs) for like, like intangible, indecipherable reasons of like you just like feeling like there is something cosmically wrong (laughs) about adults dressing up as babies which i'm not necessarily refuting but doesn't send my skin crawling off my body as it does for you i was sitting skinless on my couch (laughs) my skin moved to another room to be like i'm out of here until we come back i think that that only moves the needle upward on the you all everybody's for me because (laughs) because i think it takes a lot to find something Something that is like too far for Mike Bloom. Like, what is what is it? What goes past full Bloom? 
it's, 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 some, it's some some adult it's an adult baby yeah it's really like <laughs> even just hearing the word brings up a visceral image in my mind <laughs> that i'm not going to be shaking josh for hours i'm gonna be trying you're so not gonna shake things. it like uh one of those buddies uh, oh that, my like, god or like uh, and then they're wearing a rattle and he has a pacifier in his mouth and there is like sort of like this demonic smile on dominic monahan as he's like shaking his smile delivering the line of you all everybody's that just feels wrong it feels oh. wrong it doesn't feel right it doesn't feel right and they took the, they're on 53 takes of this like unless this is some like Francis Ford Coppola shit. Uh, like, it's clear yeah. that Liam's screwing everything up. He's <laughs> off on the kicks. Apparently, uh, him, and we'll talk about, there's a huge making of documentary for this episode of all episodes. Uh, apparently, Liam falling through the bars of the crib was like a complete improvisation that they decided to go with. Uh, at least... Well, after 53 takes, you know. On the bright side, Charlie finally got to sing the lead on this one. Mm-hmm, that's true. That's true. Uh, he gets to he gets to sing it out. He does sing the chorus to you all, everybody. After all, yeah, and you all, every putties, the the parody song. If only Dirt Spigot could do this, Josh. They do it in much less than fifty three takes. Oh my god, uh, I am I'm, I am deceased. I'm dead. This is just. <laughs> I don't know. I, where I don't to know go. if I want a group called Dirt Spigot advertising my underwear. <laughs> no, definitely not. I don't think Dirt Spigot. I feel like Dirt Spigot would be a nickname for my child at a certain point in those first few months. <laughs> well, they're going to get the job because Charlie and Drive Shaft are going to get fired because Charlie won't ditch his brother. He's my blooder. He's my. He's my blooder. He's, it's a bloody disaster. <laughs> yeah, well, I wouldn't be surprised if Charlie was speaking like a baby because he got he's so my- into character. <laughs> he's my blooder. Oh, oh, oh! <laughs> Boy, he's my blooder. Oh my god! It's, oh. Change my, di- change my typo. No, 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 no. Oh, my. Give me my, give me my bottle. Stop, 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 stop. <laughs> my bottle stole my bottle. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm like on the pit, the t- pit end of my chair right now. I'm ready to <laughs> jump out of it and uh, like send my nest askew at this moment of electronic equipment. Oh, I got the willies. I got the willies. And not not the dropping a load variety, but because of that baby talk. Like, this is me in real time freaking out to these types of things. Are you feeling rattled right now? (sighs) 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 Is the the down the hatch coverage of the you all everybody's moment, the you all everybody's of down the hatch? (laughs) I think it might be. Like, people are witnessing me going through a nervous breakdown as we're recording the podcast. Do we need to stop down? Do you need to gather yourself? Or do we just need right, to move, just move on? on. Okay. Let's just move all right, on. All right, we'll move about on. It. Let's go back to the grown adults, please. You know, that, that lived up to the hype for me. I don't know if it did for anyone uh, else. I need to go to the tail end. Look, we're going to, to Perry Como, Papa uh, Loves Mambo, the exact opposite uh, end of the age spectrum. Okay, well, let's move on. Um, uh, all right, down the hatch. Uh, Hurley's with Libby. They're doing laundry. Uh, this is where Libby's like, uh, so what do you think of this purple dress? And Hurley's like, humana, 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 humana. You can see his cartoonish ass jaw fall to the floor. His eyes are popping out. Uh, tongue is unrolling like a red carpet. Uh, and she's like, uh, here, here's a hint. When a girl asks that kind of question, she's looking for validation. Uh, but really what's stopping Hurley is like, do I know you from somewhere? Uh, and we know, of course, that he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is from, from Santa Rosa, though that has not been revealed to us at this point. Um, and she's like, turn around. I'm going to put the dress on. 
Uh, and like, there's a little bit of like a look on her face uh, when he's not looking, where she's like kind of processing the "Do I know you from somewhere?" piece mm-hmm. of it. Uh, and so, uh, obviously, it's never going to get really explored in great detail on Lost, but all of our fanficking uh, can uh, allow us to wonder of like uh, Agent of Jacob, who yeah. who's been watching Hurley, or just like insane person who used to know Hurley, uh, or a future time traveler. Who knows all of these stories mm-hmm. about Hurley because she comes from the future and they're they're gonna live a very happy life together in the future, but she does have to get like zapped back in time in order for all of this to happen. I don't know how that works. Just you come up with your own headcanon for Libby, because what choice do we have? Though uh, it's I think no matter what your belief is in their history, she definitively lies to Hurley in this moment. Right, yeah. and it's and it's even just by Hurley himself in the moment. Maybe if he wasn't so love struck, could even put the logic together that Libby's cover story is: "You stepped on my foot, crunch." You should remember that. But if we recall, Libby was in the back of the plane, and Hurley right. was prominently in the front. So unless this was, a, this was another Bernard situation where Hurley went to the bathroom and stepped on Libby's foot, they did not interact whatsoever on this flight. Yeah, uh, totally. Um, unless it's a deleted scene, we know that there's a few on this episode. Uh, but eventually, uh, she turns, she has him turn around and she's wearing the dress and asks, what do you think? Goes, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Great. And listen, I, I, I like it. I like that Hurley's Lily sort of like cutely leading Hurley along the courtship. Cause it's clear that like, she's at least playful back to him. We don't know exactly when the feelings developed the other way, but you know, she's showing some kindness to him. Maybe that comes from her own history as a shrink, again, and we don't know if that's true history or not, but she certainly is showing him a lot of kindness without necessarily, you know, reciprocating those feelings to sort of lead him on in a way that maybe some other characters would. All right, so Charlie's going to come to Mr. Echo. Uh, Mr. Echo is marking trees. These are the ones I like. <laughs> and then Michael's like, uh, they don't even day 23. Yeah, they don't even know that I'm right in front of them. <laughs> I'm hiding so perfectly well right now, <laughs> blending right in. Uh, oh, wait, like trying, why is it getting so hot in here? <laughs> trying not to laugh as he's getting drawn on. He's like, ooh, that's ticklish. Uh, but Charlie's going to come to Echo, and this is what he's like. Did you tell Locke something? He knows, man. He knows that he, that I have one of the statues. And Echo's like, like is, I mean, have you taken a look at how you've been acting the past few I days? Know. <laughs> I, but I, I think that that's one of those indicators that like Charlie is obviously misbehaving, and he knows it. You right. know, He knows he's misbehaving. Uh, and then he talks about how he's losing his mind. He's sleepwalking. He's having these vivid dreams. Uh, and he explains the details of the dream. Uh, and it, it, you know, pretty clearly for Mr. Echo, uh, he gets the story. He knows that it's the story of the baptism. Uh, and he says, have you ever considered these dreams mean something? What if you do need to save the baby? And that leads us into sound number four. I have to talk to her. Hey, you know what? Now's not a good time, no, okay? She, no, I have to talk to her. She want to hear this. Oh, you know what? Right. Tell me and I will hey, tell her. No, no, Claire. I said not now. Claire, Claire. Just, oh, wait. Claire. Please. Claire, listen. Eric's in danger. What are you talking the about? The baby's in danger. Look, I've been having these dreams. I know what they mean. Charlie, hey. Claire, listen. We have to baptize Aaron. We can do this. That goes the priest. We can do this. We can it's save time him. to go. No, wait, I'm not I finished. It's Claire, time look. To go. We have to now, baptize come. Aaron. Yeah. 
And so if you haven't seen the episode in a while, what's happening at the very end of that is John Locke is watching Charlie, like, struggling with Aaron and, and uh, not Aaron, struggling with uh, Claire. I mean, he is and, struggling and to Kate, get Aaron. To, struggling to get to Aaron. He's talking about we got to baptize Aaron. And Locke is watching all of this from a distance. And the camera movement is akin to the end of Tabula Rasa, mm-hmm. uh, the, the very iconic like camera swivel that lands Ontario Quinn in this ominous, menacing way. Um, and that coming at the end of an episode that's all about the blank slate uh, all the way back then. At that moment, John Locke is a blank slate, and we have no idea what to project upon him, and those details start to get very vividly filled out as soon as Walkabout where we find out that he uh, you know, was paralyzed before the crash and can suddenly walk. And now he's this character that uh, you're so intrigued by and you want to know so much more about, but you, you already know this huge piece of him. Um, I think to take that iconography from Tabula Rasa and applying it to this moment where that blank slate approach Locke has applied to, to so many things and people that he has encountered on the island— um, that is over for him as it pertains to Charlie Pace. Right. Like he feels like he sees Charlie very clearly right now. And a lot of that is because he himself is so angry and he himself is so broken. Um, but I remember for a long time, like loving this shot, loving this echo, not the mister, uh, of, uh, of, 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 a really iconic image from early in lost lore and feeling like really angry that it was wasted in this episode. Hmm. But I actually think it works really well thematically as a touch point back to the idea of a blank slate and not knowing what's on it and having only opportunity possibly hitting, you know, the is, is the chalk that's going to hit the blackboard. And here this is like Locke wiping what he has marked down for Charlie, like clean, but in a way where like he's like smudged the chalk all around. Uh, so I actually think it's a, it's a just on its own, a really, really good shot from Jack Bender uh, and just great cinematography on this episode all around, but especially in this moment. Um, but I think it, it works well as far as like, if you can start to appreciate this episode from the, the standpoint of it's not just Charlie who's kind of falling apart here, but Locke is falling apart too. Uh, and so we're kind of getting back to a more dangerous John Locke in this moment. Um, not just dangerous because, like, he's going to do what he does to Charlie in this episode. He's going to beat the shit out of him. But, like, also dangerous because, like, clearly he's sort of like a danger to himself. Um, I think that that's actually fairly powerful. I think that on top of that, the music choices, which we obviously just heard in this clip, and to jump a bit ahead to the Jim Fells of it all, he points out that it also was a nice throwback in that the shot mixed together two different motifs. One is Locks that was introduced in Walkabout, yeah. and then it brings in the strings from Charlie. So I think that's a great way to also show, like, you know, Locke gave a chance to Charlie to undo the, the past that he had off the island and to make himself a new man. Charlie failed that test, so now, you know, Locke is going to treat him differently. It's, it's clear to show that, like, this isn't a copy-paste. This is really a funhouse mirror version of that initial shot, and it's done purposely. So I agree. I, I have respect for it there. What I may not have respect for, because it's interesting, you know, I think you and I, when it came to like the Walt appearing in the jungle stuff, I think we were more lenient to forgive that it didn't go somewhere because it at least had like some aesthetic effect to it. It provided some nice tonal setting near the beginning of this season. I don't know if I can say the same thing about this whole saving Aaron baptism storyline, because this 
is definitely one of those things that really did not pan out. And man, in reflection, does that really show in this episode? Yeah, and I'm not... Uh, I, when Lost, like, takes on, like, big, like, religious ideas, it's not always my favorite thing. Um, but that, I think that, that that's, like, a, a partiality thing. Like, I just don't really... I'm, I'm not particularly religious, so it just never really resonates with me. Um, so I think that that's more of a personal thing. Um, but I hear what you're saying. Uh, it certainly doesn't really uh, come back in, in any way. In, in fact, if anything, like, the, the ending of Lost uh, shows that, like, uh, there there is no one religious interpretation of anything. Like, when you die... You go to this weird sideways universe uh, where you all hang out and like fight people and then like go to a church that has tons of different religious symbols on it. And then you go into this white light world. Who knows what lies beyond there? In retrospect, again, Charlie's going to sort of take Echo's idea and run with it. He's going to come in in that clip like a whirling dervish and completely blow any subtlety out of the water and trying to approach Claire about the situation. But do you think Echo... Maybe, I don't know how much of the skinny he knows on Charlie's situation, but do you think maybe he shouldn't have given the idea to Charlie in particular to pursue this line of thought? Maybe. Uh, I think that this is going to be the first episode that Mr. Echo has appeared in for a while where he's not going to score an MVP point. Let's yeah. put it that way. Uh, like, I mean, I don't think that he does anything that uh, requires him to get a demerit, um, but I think also, like, uh, maybe what you said to Charlie wasn't especially helpful in the long run. Yeah, like you were starting a man who, if not an addict, was definitely going through something mentally speaking, and right. you p- lit a spark that's going yeah. to eventually ignite your trees. Not helpful. Not helpful. Um, meanwhile, Jack and Anna, they're they're hanging out. Uh, he's helping her with the tarp. But she's uh, still working on that, t- on that shelter. Still working on that damn shelter. It's about time that she got some help. I, look, it's hard to do if it's just you. If you're all on your own. Probably took... Uh, Tom Hanks and Castaway quite a while before he like figured out uh, how to do all of this yeah, stuff. Plus, uh, Tom Hanks own. wasn't asking Wilson about the action he was getting. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's what Anna wants to know. Uh, she's like, you told me what the guy said in the jungle, uh, but not what made you turn around, what made you come back. And so this is when Jack says, uh, they had Kate. They had a gun to her head. Uh, and then there's a very pregnant pause. And then Anna says... You hitting that? Ugh. <laughs> I <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> is it is it worse when it was done in 2006, or is it worse in 2020 now? Like knowing how it's trying to really crystallize 2006 in one line. You hitting that? Unbelievable. Anna Lucia has some great dialogue in her short time. Her and Sawyer are really meant for each other in this episode. You hitting that? Coming out. Oh, my God. Yeah, it doesn't work very well together. And I'm assuming that's what uh, she's going to ask Locke later on, right? After he smacks Charlie. (laughs) You hitting that? (laughs) Yes, very clearly I did. Uh, We didn't actually pick the sound, uh, but uh, go back and rewatch the episode, or at least the scene. Jack's like reaction to it's really funny, uh, where he's like, "No, I'm not hitting that." (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty good. But it's also like I I like the fact that Jack takes like the Jack, aka like the whitest approach ever. Like, no, I am not hitting that. I am not hitting that, Anna Lucia. Uh, Yeah, Uh, you hitting that is one of those lines that came out of Lost that me and my lost friends would continue to say to each other uh, afterwards. Like, you hitting that? Just, like, out of context, nowhere, no explanation. Uh, and I'm, I'm discovering 
Andalusia really is the source of so many of those kinds of lines for me. Uh, between coming out and you hitting that. So uh, is is hitting you hitting that 2006 as kicking it is to 2020? Yeah, I think that's right. You ki- did you guys kick it? Yeah, exactly. No, we were just kicking it in the jungle. Yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of the jungle, uh, Charlie's going to go off into the jungle. Uh, he's at the, the heroin stash. He's picking up a statue. He's going to bust it open. He's got the heroin in his hands, and he's staring deep into the heroine's soul. Uh, if his eyes could shoot lasers, they would burn a hole straight through him. Uh, unfortunately, his superpower is different. He is a bloody rock god, as we all know. Uh, we get another flashback. Poor Liam has been kicked out by Karen because he dropped Megan. Uh, sounds like Karen did the right thing in kicking Liam out. Yep, and a lot of nice parallels to like these... I mean, if anything, this episode just made me feel more sympathy for poor Claire, who is like this poor embattled mother having to raise a child on an island, and her closest confidant is completely manic. I wouldn't say that Karen is in the island situation, but a very similar thing going on here, so a completely legitimate decision on Karen's part. Yeah, Liam's gonna say, we've got no money, what are we gonna do? And Charlie says, good news, I've got a song, it's our meal ticket, it's gonna get us out of here, you all, everybody, who's that? Who dat? Who's he leaving with? It's coming back with this new song. This is the new hit record from Drive Shaft. This is going to be the lead single. Uh, let's play the little the little ditty Charlie's working on. Funny now, you finally see me standing here. Funny now. What do we think? I mean, uh, it's fine. <laughs> is it a, is it a big crime that this song never got? What do you think it's called? Funny now? I think it's called like I don't know. It wouldn't be crying in the rain. Crying in the rain is it sounds like a pretty good uh, title for this. I feel like uh, together now. Like there's a lyric like together now we can be saved. I know that yeah. f- funny now is one that's repeated more, but I feel like that's. A good one. It feels more symbolic with uh, the two brothers saying, like, oh, to get, we're going to work together and we're going to be saved, especially considering what Liam's going to do. I feel like this song, in my head canon, once, you know, it's been become popularized of, like, oh, Charlie Pace died, Drive Shaft's records get boosted. I bet you, whether it's Liam or some, gr- you know, grubby-fingered music agent, like, finds the tapes of this song that never got produced and, like, adds it to their newest album, makes a butt-ton of cash off of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's likely. Um, I think that that's a very likely story. And also, like, all the little ditties that Charlie is, like, playing on the island, if somebody has, like, a good memory for that, uh, maybe they'll be able to, like, Hurley. I was going to say, Hurley, Hurley would be able to, like, just be like, then there was that one that was like, do-do-do-do-do-do, and then just be able to make more money as, uh, you know, the, the reboot of Drive Shaft 2.0. Dude, what if uh, we know time travel is going to be a thing and that certain characters are going to go back in time and like spy on each other in the past? Uh, is there a future where Hurley's like, 
Yo, we got to get more uh, Charlie songs. Uh, let's keep flashing back to times where Charlie was just hanging out and playing guitar. And then let's let's record that from the jungle with a Zoom microphone, like a like a real loud, like a, like a really you know high quality Zoom microphone from a distance, shotgun mic. Uh, and then we will uh, hire some uh, musicians who are better than Drive Shaft to to turn these into like the secret works of Charlie Pace. Trevor, this is your cousin Hugo, Hugo Reyes. Yeah, you know that Drive Shaft song you were looking for. Well, listen to this. Yeah. Well, what if? What if? Uh, they're able to do that, and uh, it's like Tupac. How everyone's like, "Oh, Tupac's not dead." There's new music. Uh, is that what's going on with Tupac? I don't know. But oh, I, like, oh, I was gonna say, are we doing a hologram Charlie Pace? Is that uh, what we're eventually yeah. going to with the Lost Reboot? Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. Uh, that could work. Oh, and he's addicted to hollow heroin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who knows? So there's 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 something there. But it's it like, this is like good. a. A momentary bright spot, again, with these, like, you know, Liam's life is on the rocks, and they find each other in rock, you know, in this momentary song. And then, of course, Liam ruins the moment by being like, great, we're going to stay up all night and write this just like we used to. I'll go get the drugs. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that is basically what it goes down to, though, is they're like, all right, let's write all night. Uh, Let's stay up all night doing heroin and writing music. Uh, So they're both very excited about it. Um, On the island, this is when Locke's going to show up. And bust Charlie. He's followed him. I'm disappointed in you, Charlie. Yeah. He's very upset. He's very upset. Uh, we're going to get the re- the repeat of the idea. The wrong idea. You've got the wrong idea. What's his the wrong idea? Uh, and Locke is going to be here. And he says, there was a time where I was going to let you choose whether or not you get to do this. Now I'm making the choice for you. Uh, and so Locke bags up the, the stash of heroin and he's really not having it with Charlie. He's yeah. saying, like, I know I've lied. I'm sorry, but think, remember the talks. Everything happens for a reason. Which probably Locke's- makes it sting worse, right? Because it's yeah. telling Locke, like, hey, you thought you were successful before, but you definitely weren't. And I think at first blush, you would say the now I'm making that choice for you is so non-Locky, considering that last episode. Quote to Jack, who are we to tell people what they can and can't do? But I think we have found the line for John Locke, is that this idea of, like, I thought I had put confidence in you and that like I trusted you and that my my guidance had worked on you. Evidently it didn't, and that's as poor of a reflection on me as it is on you. So I'm going to punish you almost for that. Even though Charlie does what he did a couple episodes and like destroys the heroine right in front of Locke, that's still not enough. Charlie insists you have to believe me, and Locke simply says, You've given up the right to be believed, Charlie, which again yeah. Big words for the guy who uh, showed up with Boone on his back and then disappeared into the jungle and then showed up at Boone's funeral with blood on his shirt. And then approached his sister and been like, it's okay. He went out and he went out fine. You know, like, so I, I think I think that being mad at John Locke for something like this, that adds to the character for me. But like, it's an it's a part of the character that can't be ignored. So like, if you're going to come out as a John Locke fan, which obviously I am, a big piece of that has to be like acknowledging that this is such an imperfect guy yeah. who often like completely uh, downplays that piece of himself. Probably deep down knows it um, and uh, runs away from addressing it healthily, uh, and often will like project that blame outward onto other people. And so I think like. He is punishing Charlie pretty harshly, but it's because, like, he's really furious with himself, too. Um, and that's, like, going to fuel the beatdown that he lays on Charlie uh, very shortly after this. Yeah, it's it's one of the biggest warts we've seen on John Locke so far. And I think 
the more you acknowledge that wart as just a part of his character, the more appreciation you'll get. Because again, I'll say, the first time I watched this episode, I was really not a fan of Locke. And it's because of moments like this. But if you're taking it into his arc and where this character's psychology comes from, it makes it more palatable. Even though, once again, as I said about Charlie, it doesn't necessarily make it more entertaining in my purview. Um, Locke is going to come back to the beach and he's going to talk to Claire and Claire wants to sleep in the hatch and Locke's like, not a great place for a baby. There's an alarm that goes off every hour and a half. Uh, why not like have somebody like uh, hire a shift of like, as soon as the thing hits, type that out real fast. Type out that code. We can, or, we can afford one beep. Can they put like a, a towel or a blanket over the alarm as well to like dampen the noise a little bit? If somebody's already sitting there in the room, like you said, they'd be able to put in the code as soon as they hear the blaring. Yeah, I think that that's probably the move. Uh, it's like not a great place for a baby. Uh, it's like, yeah, it's the beach. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, how much better is it? Also, I will say that as a super newborn, like babies are sleeping vi- for very, very short amount of time until you sleep train them. So it's almost like it would be a pretty good way to, to sleep train Aaron. Granted, it'd be a very weird schedule for every one hundred and eight minutes. Uh, but I mean, for his for his effort, Locke is at least temporarily for this episode, sort of ditching the hatch, as it were, to focus back on keeping Claire safe and protecting Aaron, which I also thought was a very interesting idea. This, I think we remember a lot of season two Locke in terms of his priorities as like hatch first above everything else, but he at least has a brief dalliance from that in this episode. Yeah, this is where Locke says, uh, there's no danger for Aaron. Charlie just feels like he has to save the baby because he can't save himself. Uh, and he's like, lo- he's like minding the, the bag of statues at the, at the same time that he's saying that. Uh, and it's, it's really just as much about himself as it is about Charlie. Uh, that's, that is my official interpretation of the matter. How do you think, because I don't believe Claire knows that Locke took the, took the statues. Would that affect their relationship at all? If she uh... knew where he was, if she knew that... A, he was taking them, and B, that they were not going to be destroyed, that they would be put in the hatch. Yeah, I mean, like, maybe this is, like, a piece of, like, Locke still having some love for Charlie because he knows that, like, if Claire saw it in this manner and found out about it in this manner, uh, that any chance that Charlie ever has of earning his place back within the Claire circle is gone um, because she would be rightfully very furious uh, and concerned. Mm. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's another reason why he doesn't want her in the hatch is because he knows that's where the heroine is. Uh, later that night, Charlie's going to start a fire uh, as a distraction to, to get everybody uh, focused on that while he goes and baby naps. Um, Charlie, not good. <sighs> Charlie, a very dangerous thing to do. Very bad. Yeah. And very this, bad thing and to this do, is Charlie. Like, I mean, again, if you're talking about parallels, and I don't know exactly how much this means to Echo when the raft caught on fire. Very similar type of thing of like, one person noticing it, everyone screaming and like trying to form a line to to put it out. But this one's far more dangerous. The raft was burning in the middle of the sand on its own. As Saeed points out, like this is right near camp. They Carly Charlie could have very much started like a Cal- California level forest fire that could have wiped out their entire shelter. Yeah, uh, not great. Very bad. Very very bad. Also, what is Saeed and that guy doing in the jungle in the middle of the night? Uh, building Anna Lucia's tarp. <laughs> she finally recruited people. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I doubt it, considering Saeed's feelings towards Anna at this point. But yeah, they're working on something. Uh, and it's very lucky that Saeed is exactly where he is, because we now have somebody who is going to be right on hand for the fire and is like the most competent human being yeah. possible for this moment. Uh, Saeed's going to rise to the occasion immediately and just like, Bark orders, enact a plan, secret shadow leader of 815, Saeed Jarrah, mm-hmm. uh, 
no, uh, fine. It's a, it's a, it's an MVP point spoiler. Getting one this week for sure. I mean, yeah, you'll miss it, Saeed but he saves the camp here, and it's he really Saeed's just the best. Yeah, I think that you know, and it, and it also shows maybe how far they've come as a community that they're all willing to mobilize. I don't know how much the Tailies got involved, but it seems like, and again, maybe this is because they've already dealt with a major fire before, but it's sort of like mm. another day in the office for eight one five and. Meanwhile, Charlie sneaks off, and oh, I do not like the look on his face as he stares at Aaron. Yeah, he's got the full hood up. He's just, like, staring from a distance. And then we get uh, the the final flashback of the episode uh, where Liam has cleaned up. I haven't used in two days. Happy anniversary, Liam, says Charlie. Uh, The piano is gone. It's been sold. Uh, Liam is going to go to Sydney. Uh, Karen and uh, and Liam and Megan are going to go to Australia. He's going to go to rehab. He needed the money from the piano to get them there. Uh, and he uh, is just abandoning Charlie. Why did he not ask? Like, it yeah. wasn't like, I don't think we know enough about Charlie, the character, to have, have him be like, I bloody refuse for you to give, me th- give you this piano. He very easily could have asked. And I don't know. It it feels like if Liam really was as clean as he said he was, that he would at least think that through. It just feels like a weird sort of like halt. I can understand the symbology behind it. Again, it's this idea of connection to family. Losing that connection means Charlie truly feels all alone. He's about to be literally all alone in a few minutes. But that was something that always sort of stuck with me that like either it's besmirching the character or just really yada yadying through the, the 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 relationship between these two brothers that Liam wouldn't at least ask Charlie to get rid of the piano. Uh, yeah, he doesn't do it. I think that it's, you know, he himself is, uh, you know, very much, yeah, he's two days clean after years of being hooked on this stuff. So if he's not making great decisions that are, like, considerate of other people, that's pretty in character with where he's been. Um, but that doesn't mean it's not, like, really shitty and yeah. it doesn't mean that it doesn't really suck for Charlie in this moment uh, as Charlie is just completely left alone uh, to probably uh, I was going to say drown in his addiction but that, that's triggering for a lot of reasons um, but it's sad Liam's gone peace out Liam yeah and it, look, uh, and it looks like Liam finally decided to clean up his act sort of with the same I mean again another comparison between Claire and Karen here and that both sort of seem to Claire didn't really give Charlie an ultimatum she more so said I'm pushing you away because of this. But Karen seemed to give Liam a very similar type of thing of, you're not interacting with me again until you can prove that you're clean. So again, an interesting parallel between the Pace brothers, though, for what it's worth, I do not think it were the roles reversed that Charlie would have sold Liam's piano without at least asking him. Yeah. Uh, Back on the island, Charlie's going to nab the baby. Claire's going to freak out. And he's screaming, I'm doing what I got to do. This has to happen. And Locke overhears... And the confrontation, not from Les Miserables, occurs. Charlie, please! Stop! I just want to save him! Charlie! Charlie! Give me the baby. Echo! Tell him! Tell him, Echo! Tell him what you told me! That the baby has to be baptized! This is not the way... Charlie, come on, give him to me. Who the hell are you, John? Aaron's not your responsibility. Where were you when he was born? Where were you when he was taken? You're not his father. You're not his family. Neither are you, Charlie.
can't do this. I, I need to. I'm not going to hurt him. You're hurting me, Charlie. Charlie gets his face wrecked by Locke. Uh, Locke has the baby. All of the gawkers just gawking. Oh, my God. There's so much gawking. I'm surprised so many gawkers ditched the fire immediately once they heard someone was, you know, ooh, Charlie stole a baby? I got to check this out. And to your point, the gawkers are also totally fine. I mean, actually, these are the gawkers, right? They were totally fine watching uh, Michael, uh, Jin pound the crap out of Michael. They were fine with Sawyer pounding the crap out of Jin. They're more than fine with having you know, Locke beat the crap out of out of uh, Charlie. It really is. Sort of I'd, like I'd give the Gawkers out. an LVP point this week, but I don't have the space to do it. Uh, yeah, I've, I have another agenda in mind. So, uh, but it's not great. Uh, and it's it, this is Charlie. Like, yeah, this isn't great, but like he's gonna get his ass kicked by Locke, and no one's gonna step in and like help him out, like to like at least get out of the water. Uh, <laughs> that's that seems like a lot. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, this is obviously Charlie at the end of his rope, screaming, I have to do what I have to do. It's very clear that, like, this is a familial connection that he feels like he needs, right? He he feels more connected to Aaron than Locke because he was there when he was born. He was there when he was taken. But Locke is that cruel, sober reminder. He's that splash of water to remind Charlie of, like, you're not his family either. As Claire said, you were strangers who got on a plane uh, also, Echo being a nice candidate for second season of The Mandalorian with this whole this is not the way line. Reading. This is not the way. This is not the way, indeed. Uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's bad. And I, I had said the week before that the beatdown was like the only thing that was good about Fire Plus Water. And like one of the reasons that like I have felt that way uh, is A, like not revisiting this episode quite as much, but B, like it's just like how I have felt about this episode. Right. It's, like, I just it's wanna, cathartic. Like, I, yeah. Yeah. Like I just want to like throw it around and like knock it around and stuff. Uh, and, and like doing like the closer examination and like seeing the pain of Charlie, seeing the pain of Locke. Uh, these, these are both people coming from really bad damaged places right now. Uh, I, I still really like the scene, but for different reasons, but because it's very sad, like, this is just really, really sad stuff. Uh, just not, not great at all. Uh, bad look for Locke, but like, that's part of the point. Right. Uh, and I think like everybody's just like, kind of like in stunned silence over the whole thing. Um, yeah. so it's, it's tough. It, it, there, there was like a feeling of catharsis that was associated with it. That was completely absent for me on this watch through uh watching him uh watching Locke beat up charlie this time was really just like ah man this is all just very very rough yeah. adding to that idea of what we've been talking about is like this is an unpleasant episode yeah and, and more so felt this time around like 
it was kicking someone while they were down. Yeah. Where, like, Charlie was clearly very emotionally at the end of his rope. So, like, he was proven wrong. He's shown himself to be, like, a really shady person in front of everybody. To hit him three times, like, I, for some reason, maybe the, like, the Rashomon saw remembering this episode, I always thought that Locke punched Charlie because, like, he was coming back for the baby. Like, he was going to run back and grab Aaron. So it was most so out of self-defense. But no, as we sort of talked about, it was more Locke's therapy. It was this anger problem that was coming out. And this scene overall just made me feel terrible for Claire. Like, this poor woman has been through so much, including having, you know, someone that she was pretty friendly with steal her baby. And to have her have to, like, tell Charlie, like, you're hurting me is just so heartbreaking. Like, this is this is a very, very sympathetic episode for Claire, considering that she has really done nothing. She's been placating towards Charlie. She's been pleasant when really she had, she could have very easily had no right to be. But, like... Still, all this crap happens to her because of the people that she happens to be consorting with. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's tough. It's tough stuff. Uh, the next day, poor Charlie uh, is, like, just sitting alone. And Jack shows up. And again, in ways that mirror the moth, right? Like, you get a, a near the episode, Jack and Charlie kind of, like, in the wake of um, how do you respond to finding out about uh, having a drug addict in the mix. Uh, and Jack, how he responded in The Moth, was, uh, you know, being pretty empathetic and, you know, clinical and, like, being, like, a really good doctor with, with Charlie. And here, I think he is, like, he's still doing that with the added base layer of, like, well, we've now all been through some shit together. Like, I know who you are, Charlie Pace. I've lived with you for, like, two months now. Um, I know you, I know what you're about, I know what you've done, I know your history here on the island, and I also know that this is not something that goes away very easily, uh, and I know that you are in need of, like, help, but simultaneously, like, nothing like that can ever happen again. Yeah. And I think that the way that Jack treats Charlie here is uh, probably the fairest treatment to Charlie throughout the entire episode. And I think it's Jack balancing his position of as leader with someone who has, I think one of the more sympathetic characters to Charlie's cause. I mean, he's going to have his own sort of battle with addiction, uh, both uh, off, um, you know, beforehand and off the island as well after he ends up getting off of this. So I think he understands, like, Charlie's sort of mental state at that point of, like, when your mind is driven to this deep, dark pit, the things that you might do. But at the same time, he's being very pragmatic of, like, I have a group of people that I need to look out for, so this cannot happen. I will also ask, how much time has passed since the hit and Jack coming over? Because we hit daylight. You can imagine if Charlie needed stitches. Maybe it requires a bit more expedient medical attention. The, the, yeah, but Jack didn't look like he was there. Maybe he was on shift. I don't know. Yeah, maybe he was Maybe he was in the hatch. Maybe that's the thing is Locke sort of like gave all his shifts to Jack so that he could take Claire, care of Claire. I'm not entirely sure. But we once again have another instance where Charlie is not speaking to the questions that he's asked. Um, when Charlie's like, I didn't, I didn't use, I know I really wanted to. And Jack's like, that's not what I asked Charlie. And it's a good reminder yep. to him of like, you can be as insistent as you want to, but you have to speak to the truth that these people are asking for. Uh, and I think that is what Charlie fundamentally does not do in this episode. And whether or not he's using, he definitely draws suspicion to himself because of that. Yeah. Uh, the end of the episode is basically the baptism. Claire's going to come to Echo and he's going to explain the baptism process and how it's a, uh, this man has been freed of his sins. Heaven's going to come much later. Uh, she's going to be like, oh, if I don't get baptized and you do it to Aaron, are we not going to be together? And so Echo's going to baptize him. And then he'll oh. say, I, yes, he is not in the church when you go. 
Uh, yeah. Is that why uh, Michael and Walt aren't there? Were they not baptized? Yeah, maybe they uh, should have asked Echo while, you know, Michael is with him. Is that why Ben doesn't choose to go through the church? He says, I still have more to do here. Does he need to get baptized in the sideways? Yeah, no, he was bar mitzvah. So that's why he's like, it's a fundamental disconnect Damn. in that regard. All right, I guess I'm not moving on. That sucks. No, he has uh, to go to the synagogue. That's why he can't go into the church. Oh, that's where I'll... I'll oh, so we move on with Ben. Yeah, All right, like, I'll oh, it. no, Hurley, I have to go to the temple. No, not I'm the not. temple, but the other one. <laughs> yeah, we'll do it. It'll be great. Uh, so that's basically the end of the episode. Is a little bit of a montage of uh, Echo uh, baptizing Claire and Aaron. Uh, lock at the hatch. He's changing the combo. He's putting the heroin there. Obviously, it's going to be very important, uh, the heroin uh, to the future of the of the season. Um, and later at night, Charlie's just all alone by the water, by the fire, almost like he is by the two of those things combined in an occasion. Uh, to, we, we haven't and, even, we've taken so long to not even point out the episode title, which is so weird. Like I understand fire and water. Why is it fire plus water? Are we going some, for some sort of like Baz Luhrmann, Romeo plus Juliet? Yeah. Shout out. We are. I think that's it. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. I still and a tragic lack of Harold Perrineau in the equation. Exactly. Or John Leguizamo jumping around. <laughs> well, what's John Leguizamo doing here? You really got to explain that. He uh, he could be the Nicky Impalo, much more palatable. Episode ends with Charlie pulling up his hoodie, but the podcast does not end. We've got uh, we've got the others to go through. We've got feedback. We've got some behind the scenes stuff, and as we've alluded to. Uh, deleted scenes all throughout this episode. Uh, there's there's at least three. Um, there's there's a deleted scene between Echo and Anna Lucia where she talks about how uh, Jack wants to build an army, and Echo like challenges the idea of oh you're gonna you're gonna uh, go out there and like challenge the others. That seems stupid. And Anna Lucia is like, what happened to the guy who murdered two people on the beach on the first night? And Echo's like, oh. You're talking to him. Uh, I, I really like this scene. And again, I, yeah. I wish that it had been in the episode in lieu of some other stuff because I, I like, you know, Echo's sort of approach. Because it would make sense that given their relationship that Anna would approach Echo and sort of divulge to him about what she heard about the hunting party. And she sort of takes the Sawyer perspective, right? Of like, I want to go in there and get revenge for what they did to us. Echo has a very logical approach saying... It's very clear for one reason or another that these people are relatively safe compared to what happened to us. So I feel like we're totally fine here. And Echo shows sort of his confidence and his mentality of the fact that I will only attack people, you know, out of self-defense. I'm not going to personally seek revenge, which speaks to, I think, just the general disconnect between these two characters and speaks to the experience of we know you know compare Anna Lucia at the end of the collision flashbacks to you know how Echo approaches things and it's very clear that she is someone to be more offensive and he is someone to be more defensive and it's also nice to have the two of them check in with each other I feel like that we have very rarely seen that even in the episodes that have focused on them both um there's a couple of other deleted scenes we'll link to all of these in the in the show notes there's one with Libby and Hurley, where they're talking more about their backstories, and Hurley basically asks Libby out on a date. Uh, we'll link to that. Uh, I did pull the sound for uh, another scene that I think is from this episode, or maybe it's from from later in the season, uh, but either way, I guess it would make sense because of what Echo is trying to do. This scene, this deleted scene, has a title. It's called The Saw, and it takes place inside the hatch, and we have pulled the full audio from the scene. Uh, let's listen in, Mike. What's the saw for? 
Do I need to tell you in order to borrow it? No, of course not. Your business is your business, Mr. Echo. Have fun, so on. Thank you. That's the entire scene. Yeah, Echo asks for the a entire saw scene. And Locke's like, I'm not going to ask any questions. Here's your saw, sir. The entire scene is Mr. Echo borrowing a saw from John Locke and John Locke giving him the saw, asking what it's for. Mr. Echo tells him, do I have to tell you what it's for? And John Locke says, no, I suppose you don't. Your business is your business. And Mr. Echo graciously thanking John Locke for the saw. And John Locke saying, good luck with your saw. And that is Saw, Lost version. I was going to say, do we think there was another uh, version of the, sh- the episode Question Mark where it turns out the Pearl Station is actually the Saw Station where it's like, we like to play a game, Swan yeah. Station. Yeah. Is uh, Mr. Echo Mr. Jigsaw? Oh, now it all makes sense. He does ride a tricycle later on and looks very <laughs> suspicious. Yeah, I actually, I actually like this scene. I know it's sort of like inconsequential, but I think the way that Locke and Echo interact is going to be like very fundamental to what we see them sort of start to do as the season develops of Locke sort of developing a, an, a respect for Echo and maybe treating him with more distance than he would other people. Like, I don't think Locke would tell other people, hey, your business is your own. I think he he might be somebody to this point in this episode is, is one to helicopter parents sometimes if he feels like they have fundamentally failed him. So I think it's just like a fun little slice of life. I will also mention the third deleted scene is another... Uh, load-bearing scene between Hurley and Libby. Some interesting character-building stuff in here. First, uh, Libby tells Hurley that she did uh, marriage and child psychology before landing on the island, and apparently she said that she was married three times. Again, make of that what you will in Libby's crazy backstory. But Hurley, in a show of trust, comes clean about the lottery winnings, and for one of the first times on the island, Libby takes it at face value. Uh, and he is amazed by that. So that sort of leads into, as you mentioned, Hurley asking Libby to go on, quote-unquote, a walk. And that doesn't mean that they're going to confessional like they do in Survivor. It means that they're going to go on a little date. And so I, I think it's it's a very... I don't know. I like the Hurley and Libby stuff in this episode. So again, I wish we'd flip-flop a couple of these delete other scenes in the episode with a couple of these deleted scenes because I found them much more palatable. You know, this is like a pretty expansive episode. Uh, there's... Uh, we, there's a 30-minute featurette that's like a making of fire plus water. Yeah. We'll, we'll link to that. Um, we have a production script of fire plus water that's available at dailyscript.com. We'll link to that as well. And that reveals that like there's a scene where, where Anna and Jack are talking more directly about building the army and all of that. Apparently also uh, Liam Pace uh, takes his, uh, his, his diapers for a test drive. Um, oh no okay well maybe there are certain things i'm glad stayed on the cutting room floor because that would have like i think i would have walked out of the room if that deleted scene had come up maybe that was the fire plus water well if you drink fire water you're you're bound to produce something unsavory in there yeah maybe it was was very bad uh so we'll link to all of that stuff uh i haven't watched the featurette did Uh, you watch it i did actually Uh, and it's it's interesting so i mean i would encourage people to watch it if you want a look as to like the entire production schedule of lost because they take it from creating the script edward kisses and adam horowitz are like you know, planning out the episode to when the fo- the footage is delivered to LA via courier and they edit it and they colorize it. They bring in um, Dominic Monaghan to do some ADR and it's like, 
shades of that viral video of when Hugh Jackson was doing ADR for, I think it was Logan, of him like running in place and doing his out-of-place breath. They have him do ADR for the swimming scene. And it's pretty funny, but there are some like insights uh, that we didn't necessarily know because we have like Jack Bender and Cuse and Lindelof talking where, you know, they wanted to use this episode as a way to throw a wrench into the Claire Charlie relationship, which I'm not a fan of. Uh, we got to see a little bit of them like remaking some of the sets, like the where the episode starts in Charlie's childhood home is actually the same place where Claire visits Richard Malkin uh, when he tells her, you know, not to get on the plane. Apparently, the doll chopping that faceless Papa Pace does is a reference to the Beatles album Yesterday and Today, which is not very well known to some of us, you know, Yanks. Uh, it's apparently that was like the original album cover was going to be of them chopping up dolls bloodily, but obviously the uh, the album producers disapproved of it. The original idea for You All Every Butties was apparently for them not to be in a giant crib cat style, but for them to be crossing Abbey Road <laughs> Oh, wow. Diapers, but they could not get permission to put four grown men in diapers in the middle of the street. Surprise, surprise. I mean, that would have been epic. And the the other thing which they uh, elaborated on in the featurette, but you could actually see it if you I think you have this full screen version of the episode is in the the vision with the actual painting figures with Hurley as Jesus. If you look in the corner, you could very subtly see a certain Beechcraft plane go down in the corner. Yeah, I did see that. I did see that. I saw that. So that's representing, obviously, uh, the source of... Uh, that's that, That's like the one ring beating in Charlie's pocket. Uh, is the, the plane filled with heroin. Um, all right, so there's a lot that you can unpack from Fire Plus Water. Clearly, they were swinging, you know? They took a swing. Did they knock it out of the park, or did they get, like, you know... Pop fly, you know, probably the second thing. Uh, they definitely didn't knock it out of the park. Mm-hmm. Uh, truly, truly, no, no question about it. Um, all right, some feedback that we got. A lot of this we've already touched on, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna pick around that. Maybe a shorter feedback this week. Uh, we'll give you like three hour podcast, so I hope that that's okay. Um, Stefan Johnson wrote in, uh, "Why is Charlie Breaking Bad in this episode so hard to stomach compared to when other characters like Sawyer, Ben, and Saeed do it?" Um, Mike, do you have a thought on that? I mean, the reason why is because I think Charlie up to this point, like, had been doing so well. You know, I feel like after the homecoming stuff, he really was taken as like this big comical character. So to have him take a big, violent swing back over to the other territory, complete with baby stealing and lying massively and possibly taking drugs, just felt so violently thrashful from a tone perspective, that I find it much more turbulent than characters like Sawyer and Ben and Saeed, who, yes, will do bad things, but I almost feel like it's like the, the tale of the scorpion, where, you know, you knew they were going to sting you, and you sort of, you know, bite yourself for not realizing that sooner, whereas Charlie has never been a character that's really been capable of being a scorpion up to this point. Yes, he's been using, but he never has really been that dangerous of a character to people's livelihoods up to this point. Uh, Eric Divestein asks, uh, I believe Charlie when he says he hasn't been using, but he's lied a lot to cover his tracks, so I don't think I believe him when he told Locke that he was only retrieving his drugs to destroy them. Do you think Charlie would have used them if he hadn't been interrupted by Locke? Well, that's an interesting um, question. So it's ba- yeah. he's basically asking, was Charlie on his way to like being on rock bottom, to him actually going like, well, if everyone's accusing me of being on heroin, I might as well do it. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on like, 
is he's standing there staring at the bags of heroin in his hand for the length of time that the flashback is playing out. <laughs> because if so, then yeah, he's really debating a choice. Yeah. Or is is it that he just breaks it open, he's looking at it in his hand for like two seconds, and then Locke shows up. Uh, that's a different story, I think. And I guess it also, when he, because he, again, he, this is the second time where he's going to destroy the heroin in front of somebody, is does that actually speak to his sincerity, or is it more so like, okay, I can cut a little bit loose here, but I have plenty that I can, you know, convince this old guy to give me back, and I'll be able to, to have a field day with that. Yeah. Um, more about Charlie and Locke. Uh, Jim Fells throws this uh, throws this our way. He says, A few weeks ago, I was wondering if Locke punching Charlie was the most polarizing moment on the show. I created a poll in a big lost fan group on Facebook, which ended up with 105 votes. So Just close. Shy. Yeah. So close. So close. Uh, the results, 56% of voters were not a fan of Locke punching Charlie, and 44% felt that he was in the right. Uh, interesting stats. Yeah. Um, I think I would have gone with the 56 I yeah, I would have gone with the fifty six as well. But I again I think this is a reflection of, as you pointed out before, both guys do not look good. No, they look scene. bad. I think I think bad. that's just showing that, you know, considering how nearly evenly split people were of like I wouldn't say team Charlie versus team Locke, but basically who looked worse is basically evenly split from a popular yeah, opinion. But- but I also, you know, like, I probably would have said he was in the right if I hadn't watched Fire Plus Water again recently. You know, like, if it had just been, like, a week ago, I probably would have been like, yeah, he definitely earned it. If um, if you were shown the scene in isolation, would you have been on Locke's side or not? I, I have no idea, man. I really don't know. I mean, I technically was shown the scene in isolation because we're all in social media. <laughs> I was going to say. Uh, so, uh, but I don't know. I don't know. I think without, I think you do need context for it no matter what. Um Anyway, I don't know. Uh, John Krause is going to ask us, I feel like Damon and Carlton were trying to make something of having several different characters have prophetic dreams about Aaron. We get Claire in in season one and Charlie here. I think other characters do later on as well. Um, Why go this way and not pay it off? Um, Is this frustrating for you? uh, Or are you ultimately mostly okay with this? I'm a little frustrated just because with like Malcolm David Kelly, I understand the puberty thing to a certain extent, but like this is a baby you could very easily recast the baby like we'll see in season five like we'll see toddler aaron you know it just seems like they're like well we got to keep trying with this special kid thing and then maybe they realize like there was nowhere to go and to that i ask why try again yeah i would rather have had them cut their losses and move on by being like okay let's not go down that road rather than being like but maybe no i don't think so yeah uh, Phoebe Nugent says, I love Mr. Echo, but I have no idea where he heard that version of Jesus being <laughs> baptized. Uh, the biblical account says that when Jesus came to John the Baptist to be baptized, John balked. I should be baptized by you, he said. Why do you come to me? When John baptized him and the heavens did indeed open, the Spirit of God descended like a dove, not a literal dove. And God said, this is my son whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. The biblical account of Jesus being baptized has nothing to do with Jesus being cleansed of sin. He was already sinless and was simply baptized to show others the way. Interesting. Yeah, that takes on a completely different meaning. That more seems like a leader thing. Like, as the mm-hmm. leader of men, I want to show, you know, show how uh, how sinless I am. That seems fundamentally different than, oh my God, this divine providence came in to show that I was cleaning, you know, the son of God sinless. But I would also, I also sort of like this idea, though, right, of like, 
echo either I just misremembering stories that Yemi had told him while he was sort of counting his money in his head or something. And so he's just trying to reflect it the best way he can, even if he is kind of a bullshit artist. Uh, all right. Well, let's let's keep going. Uh, Down Servo is going to report 91 dudes uh, is the updated. I was going to say in this episode. Yeah. 91 dudes total through uh, this episode of Lost. Uh, this is funny from from the Ben behind the curtain. Buddy is English slang for a sandwich, usually in roll form. Just thought you should know. Oh, you all every so, you all every sandwich. Yeah, you all every sandwich. Yeah. Uh, it, so does a hot dog apply there? Or is, is a hot uh, dog a butty? Uh, we've talked a lot about the music this episode. I'm sure a lot of this is highlighted in Jim Fells' analysis as usual. Yeah. So I mentioned uh, that before. Again, there's there's a lot of like uh, introductions to previous thematic elements, like. Uh, we remember the the sound that played when Sun told Kate about the bottle in Ooh and Found. They call it like heartache motif. That comes back when Charlie does his weird little golem moment of skulking in the shadows. There's this really interesting element where there's like a synthesizer theme that comes in when creepy adult Liam appears in Charlie's first vision. And it appears in a couple of times in season two. But it's actually a non-Giacchino piece of music. Very oh, rare. Apparently it pops up in a bunch of random TV pieces. I don't know if they just needed like something creepy to just sort of source. And Giacchino was sort of uh, running low on time. And when Charlie tries to save Aaron in the water, the music that plays is the one that plays when uh, Jack and Kate try to cut down Charlie and all the best daddies. So hey. this element of like Charlie being in danger the first time and Charlie arguably putting himself in danger the second time. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's get into the MVP LVPs. Uh, you've got three MVPs to dish out. I've got two. Oh, boy. Uh, this I've is the tough way to do three MVPs. Uh, all right. We'll give it a shot. Well, let's start with Claire. And this is a uh, this is a very, like, sympathetic one. I mean, I do give her credit as well for really standing up to Charlie because he was really, really sketchy this episode. So I, I, I got to give Claire some love here in the form of an MVP point. Yeah. Uh, I think that's fair. Um. I'm going to give love to Saeed, as I said. Uh, he stops the fire. That's very good. I'm going to give a point to Sawyer. Like, this is the most churlish we've seen. So I don't know if he still hopped up on pain meds from the shoulder stuff. But I appreciate the fact that he was at least sort of, like, playful with Hurley and looking out for Hurley. This is a little different from a couple episodes ago where he's like, nobody likes me. I'm just going to sit and, you know, brood in the corner and possibly fall asleep on a chair. Yeah. I'm going to give a point to Libby. I don't think we have yet. Uh, we gave one to um, her in uh, in the other forty eight days. Did we? Did we end up doing that? I'm not sure that we. Oh did. no, I think Doesn't... you took it away from her. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that she ended up getting one, or maybe she did. I don't know. Our MVP LVP tabulation seems like it's a full mess right now. Um, I think that she does have one, maybe. Uh, so either she has one point now or two points. Hard to know. Uh, but she definitely gets a point this week. She, de- uh, she definitely doesn't I... have three points, which is apparently the number of husbands she's had. I think that she's great in the scene with Hurley, and I really like Libby, and I don't know how many opportunities we're going to get to stop down and uh, acknowledge uh, the character. So uh, happy to do one right now. And let me give a point to Hurley as well. This was, in my opinion, one of the only enjoyable parts of the episode. And so I want to give it full credit and also give credit to Hurley as well for sort of coming out of his shell and actually pursuing something when ordinarily I think uh, he'd be a little nervous about it. Maybe he's still carrying over that confidence from when he asked Starla out back in the day, but I, I like the swag that Hurley had here. He, he dropped that load, and I'm dropping an MVP point on him. Now, so we're going to the LVPs. I've got three, you've got two, and I'm going to slam dunk on heroin, <gasps> Mike, because oh. you have... You have uh, allowed the the you've you've opened the yes! floodgates for this. You put heroin on the board as a thing to be mad at. 
and how could you not put this on heroin? Uh, if, if you're going to say this is on Charlie and on Liam, <laughs> I think you're misattributing it. So you've opened the floodgates and I'm looking at the, at the doc right now, uh, not Jack Shepard. I'm looking at our lost document right now. And I see Mike, that you're going to put your LVP points on Charlie and Liam, but you opened us up to the world of heroin <laughs> as an eligible LVP point getter. How dare you, sir? Yeah. How dare you blame the brother's pace for this? It really was a gateway point that I gave to heroin a couple of weeks ago. I'm How s- can we not do full slam dunk on heroin right now? Because Charlie takes a baby. <laughs> yeah, because he's had the problems that have been spawned on. By uh, the monstrous demon heroin that put him on this path. But he also stole a baby. And if we're going along with the logic that he's not using, that is 100% Charlie. And whether or not you want to say that the heroin's in his system or not, those are the decisions that he's making. Liam was clean two days and then sold a piano. He also ruined a commercial. And he also dressed up like a, you know what? You know what? I'm giving Charlie and Liam negative points because they dressed up like freaking babies. And I hate (laughs) that they dressed up. Like babies. As you hate men. adult babies more than heroin. I, I think that I took you took care of that for me. I wanted to cover the spread. So I said, okay. let me take care of the adult baby side. Josh will take care of the hardcore drug side. We, symbiosis here on the Lost Podcast. It's a shame. I think that this would be a good week to dock lock a point. Uh, I know. I, I was going to say lock and echo, I think, very nearly avoided. They are lucky. The gawkers as well. They're lucky. They're lucky. Um, there's some uh, point wonkiness going on right now in our document, so I'm not going to give the update other than the fact that uh, Saeed is still the leader through uh, this point in lost history, uh, but he's not going to be able to close in on Mr. Echo. Ultimately, I don't think Mr. Echo with 11 points in season two, Saeed with six points in season two. Um, Sawyer has just zeroed out. He was in a negative one. Uh, well, I, the next week is coming. <laughs> I think our stats on Charlie are wrong, so I, I don't want to give that right now, but it's just a downward spiral. Yeah, it's, it's not going to be a good episode for them <laughs> next episode. It's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. All right. Let's talk about where this lands in the episode rankings. The 4.2 stars of it all, Mike Bloom. And uh, the question of, is this the worst episode of of Lost? Um, here are some some arguments. We, we, we you know got this a, a lot of feedback on this question since we've been talking about it for a while. Um, from the from the hatchlings this is matt mcgee weighing in on the episode uh saying dear god whatever the case may be screams in triumph as it finally escapes last place on my episode rankings i hope this is the last time i ever watched this episode i had to mute the tv and look away in certain charlie scenes because i was drowning oof in secondhand shame uh andrew Yu says i always hated this episode the most um but some uh some arguments in favor of it zach brooks says so not as bad as advertised. It adds good depth to Charlie's future redemption, but a detour for more interesting stuff. Daniel Brennan says, I think Fire Plus Water is almost a good episode of Lost. I actually enjoyed the flashback, despite the you all everybody's of it all. We see how Driveshaft deteriorates despite Charlie's best efforts. I feel bad for Charlie as Liam thwarts whatever comeback attempt might be possible. The flashback is much more useful and compelling than the one in Homecoming. However, the on-island story centered on Charlie is a mess. Dallin Cervo says, I don't hate this episode. I think there are worse episodes out there, and I do think the flashbacks are interesting in character building. Um, so that is uh, the, the, the voices of those in the audience who weighed in. Um, we're going to do this in, in uh, a different order than usual, uh, which is that the audience average for this episode, Mike, uh, is a 2.0. Uh, and it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty... 
it's it's a little bit of a wild spread. It goes as high as a three point five. Somebody puts it at a three point five, which is obviously very high. Okay, Dominic uh, Monaghan, we found your burner <laughs> account. <laughs> Somebody loves fire plus water. Uh, that is Dominic Monaghan. Um, it goes as low as a point nine, um, not even getting a point. Uh, and then a lot more in like the one range, low two range, and it ultimately nets out as a two. Um, this is how I got to where I have landed with it. Um, I had, I have whatever the case may be, and adrift as the worst two episodes of Lost through this point. Mm-hmm. And I have them scored at 2.1s. Um, and do I think Fire Plus Water is a better or worse episode than those? Was the first thing that I needed to clear. And I don't know that I have a great answer to the question of are they is it a better episode but i think that there were elements of fire plus water very elemental to begin with that i appreciated a lot more than the things that i appreciated in certainly adrift and i think in retrospect in whatever the case may be as well so i think i've got a i've got to say that fire plus water is either as bad as those two episodes but not worse. So its bottom cannot be lower than 2.1. And I think because it's a little bit better than I've given it credit for, I think I'm going to boost it just a little bit past those two episodes. Uh, and I was thinking about like a 2.5 for a while, but that felt like really high. That felt really high for Fire Plus One. I mean, I mean, it's accurate to have an, this be high. I, 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 this know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I do think like it's almost a good episode of Lost, but I do think like ultimately it's just okay. It's just fine uh, to the point of like being closer to bad than okay, uh, which is why I think like a two point one is going to be like right on like that fifty yard line. Uh, I don't know if, there, if the, is the football field 100 yard. I don't know. 50 point line, halfway there, uh, living on a prayer. Um, and I think just out of like feeling like I've shaded this episode for so long, and then I went back and I gave it a fairer shake and found a lot of fruit that I actually thought I could melon ball some edible pieces out of. Uh, I have to give it a little bit further than a drift and whatever the case may be. So I'm just going to stick with a lost number, and I'm going to give it a 2.3. Uh, we're going to, we're going to land it on 2.3. I think that we're going to find episodes that are going to be close to this level. Um, but if this is like the worst episode of lost for me, uh, and it's a 2.3, then we're in the clear, you know? And, and I think like what I'm finding about, uh, my experience with lost and like the scoring is like, it's impossible to like, like accurately grade this stuff. It's really going to be like, where, where are you when you're watching the thing? I could watch this in five years and think that this whole thing was ridiculous. But I needed an episode that was going to make me laugh this week, and I often find that like talking them through with you, Mike, uh, either like pushes a score up or or pushes it down, like depending on just like kind of like what are like some of the conversations that we're having out of it. Uh, and I think on that level, like it almost would have pushed Fire Plus Water up a little bit further. Um, but I think like two point three is a is a sober take uh, that is like almost a little more fair to it than it needs to be but maybe verging on still not quite as fair as it could be for Fire Plus Water. I'm not ultimately sure. This is a hard one for me to grade, but I have to say it's not my least favorite episode that I've encountered in the rewatch so far. Because mm, it's mine. 
<laughs> I'm I'm gonna have your score, sir. Fire plus yeah. water gets a one point two for me. <laughs> Look, I can understand the points that people made, and yeah, sure, I I, sure. I think that when I watch these episodes of Lost, uh, I you could have a lot of criteria with how you score episodes. Mine fundamentally comes down to enjoyment. And enjoyment is an umbrella term, right? It can be, like, something hysterical. It could be something beautifully heartwarming. It could be something mind-blowing. It could be a huge emotional character-building moment. But at the end of the day, it has it comes down to me of how much did I enjoy this episode of Lost. I did not enjoy this episode of Lost. Sure, fair, fair, fair. I fair, did fair. not. And I, I can understand what they were going for. But the choices that they made made me fundamentally uncomfortable with what was going on, whether it was due to the purposeful decisions they made or the fact that I happened to be skeeved out AF by adults being in diapers. There, were, there was very, very little I liked about this episode. I was going to give it a sub one score, uh, but I think looking at some of the choices that were made, particularly in the cinematography department, bumped it up a smidge. This is, I, I would not be surprised personally if this is the lowest score I give to any episode just sure. because I can't think of an episode that there are episodes that make that might feel pointless. You know, I personally like this less than a drift and whatever the case may be, because those episodes had things I at least really enjoyed in them. I really enjoyed the C and D plot and whatever the case may be. I thought that, you know, the Desmond stuff in the hatch and a drift was interesting. And I, of course you heard me love come to pieces over the scenes in a drift when, when Michael and Walt leave one another I do not find any saving graces in this episode. I can understand the umbrage that people are probably going to take with me because of this rating. At the end of the day, it's my rating. So that's what it is. Wow. Wow, taking a hard stance. This is your line. It really is. I mean, listen, I, I because I had taken... It's sort of like, again, the opposite of what you experience with Fire Plus Water, where my hard line for a long time was that Adrift was one of my least favorite episodes. So when I find a less favorite episode, I, I want to commit that now watch we get to further instructions next season and i have to change my tune again no for sure for sure for sure and i think that that's why like i couldn't go much further than a 2.3 is like because i think that like there are going to be episodes that are like in the conversation for like around this area and if i have like fire plus water up at 2.5 like that just doesn't feel right Mm -hmm. um so i i do think that this is a little higher than i would normally give it i think it's in so so with with the audience score of a 2 and you with a 1.2 and me with a 2.3 it comes out to a 1.84 it's the only episode so far that hasn't broken past a 2 in terms of our down the hatch ratings uh and i think it's going to be a long time before we get there again yeah uh it'll be i think until season 3 before we see something like that again um and i don't think it's unfair i i i think for fire plus water to not just be like our bottom ranked of season 2 but it's also looking across the season one scores right now really quickly. Um, it's our lowest ranked episode on down the hatch so far. I don't think it's, I don't think it's unfair. I think, I think there's not, a, this is not like a pleasurable episode of lost, mm-hmm. but I think it's more thoughtfully and competently made than I've given it credit for. Mm-hmm. And I, and I do think that it's going for a thing. Yeah. I, um, I, I would also say like as much as we're enumerating the episode 
I don't want this to be like an indication of like, wow, what a terrible episode of television. Because like you said, like there are things that you can still love in each and every episode of Lost. That's why you and I are flapping our gums for hours at a time about this every single week. Even the bad episodes. In fact, some of the bad episodes we talk for longer than some of the good episodes, as the runtime of this episode is indicating. It's just sometimes when the bad no, outweighs the good. No, this is on like a lower. relatively low end. Yeah, sometimes, <laughs> the, sometimes the bad outweighs the yeah. good. And I think yeah. to your point... I think this is also like people use again Stranger in a Strange Land as really uh, a, a more of a larger representation of like where Lost was in that moment of time, which was aimless. And I feel like Fire Plus Water can sort of serve as that as well, specifically when sure. it comes to season two. Sure. I don't think that that's unfair. All right. So Fire Plus Water in last place, both in season two and overall as it stands. Next week, the Charlie curse continues uh, <laughs> with with the long con, uh, which is an episode that I uh, have have really uh, held up fairly highly in the past, but I've never done the real granular look at it. And I wonder how that's going to play next week, because I think that it's it's a little bit wobbly in, in certain places. But um, uh, we'll talk about we're going to get uh, we're going to get Cassidy in the mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, this is uh, you know the, the, our first Sawyer flashback of season two, and especially after the events of Outlaws, which definitely, I think, showed him in a, I wouldn't say, I guess, more sympathetic light, but more rationalized light in regards to like how he you know goes through his life. This is one of the first big cons that we see him run, as he obviously runs into a person that's going to become a very big part of his life. And on the island, despite you know making nice with Hurley this episode, Sawyer's going to firmly swing into bad guy territory for a hot second. And I'm sure we're going to have a lot of opinions about that, much as we did about Charlie this episode. All right, so the long con dropping in your feed, April 24th. Get your feedback in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. You can also tweet at us at postshowrecaps is our main feed. At Round Howard, that's me. At a Mike Bloom type, that's Mike in the diapers. Uh, an adult wearing diapers and acting like just a will baby on Twitter. Yeah, if if Josh sends me any uh, pictures of adults wearing diapers, by the way, I'm going to send him compilations of people's getting poked in the eye just for fun. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to do that, it. Well, that's what I'm, I'm also I'm telling people. Like, if you do that, you're playing with fire plus water. I'm going to give it right back to you. He's coming. He's coming back. He's coming back to you. Uh, all right, Mike, uh, what else is going on? What else is happening in Mike Bloom's world? So much stuff on Post Show Recaps. Actually doing a couple of fun little one-offs. So uh, this past week, myself and Shannon Gus got together to break down Shit's Creek, this fantastic Canadian comedy series, which ended a couple of weeks ago. And honestly, it's the most like analytical and introspective I've gotten about a show since Down the Hatch. And it's actually made me uh, really think about how lucky I am and, and so many ways that we get to do this and really get deep about these characters. Because Shannon and I were able to do it in a very similar way with these characters and the way they were able to change and grow and represent over the course of six seasons. That is a fantastic conversation. We do have a spoiler list section at the beginning where people want to essentially get a taste as to what the show's like, if it's worth your time. Spoiler alert, it is. You can sort of get a sense as to what the show's about and our opinions about it before we really get in-depth as to the characters, some of our favorite storylines, etc. At the time this is coming out, there should probably be a... Sp- coming out! Exactly, especially because uh, of the runtime of this podcast. You'll probably be seeing in your feed a bit of a dalliance into the love of our lives, Josh, respectively. The lovely Brant Steele simulation has made its way back to post-show recaps. Myself... Jessica Lise and Rob Cesarnino wow. have come together to do Survivor Star Trek. Heroes oh versus God. healers versus hustlers. Oh my God. <laughs> we have taken characters from nearly every series of Star Trek so far. We Again, we don't know when the next Star Trek series has come, 
But, you know, this idea had been bandied about a bit between Jess and myself. It's been bandied about on social media as well. So we thought, let's make use of the downtime. So we have a full simulation waiting for you. At the time of recording this, I have no idea how it's going to go, who is going to prevail. Do you have your money on anybody's cast unseen, anyone that you would want to see win a season of Survivor? Well, who does the holodeck hate the most is the question, because uh, Brant Steele often just spits out the most bizarre situations humanly possible. Um, so who does the holodeck really have a grudge against to satisfy? Well, unfortunately, Reg Barkley from The Next Generation is not playing. I do think he would, considering all the weird things he did in the holodeck. I guess, you know, we do have, spoiler alert, have Quark, the Ferengi play. Considering the weird things that were in the Hollow Suites in Deep Space Nine, maybe there's a bit of like a... Uh, a bit of a grudge going there. Okay, I could see that. We also have a hologram person playing on the show as well, so maybe <laughs> the they're doctor? the ones to back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ferengi is a great name for a tribe on, like, actual Survivor. I would think so as well, and they can just sort of make up some sort of, like, an Eric Reichenbach-esque, like, oh, it, this means this thing, when really it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for someone who is uh, listening to this podcast and is, like, a Survivor fan who ends up going on Survivor in the future... If you name a tribe, if you get to name the merge tribe Ferengi, um, I'm I'll give you a hundred bucks. How about that? And I'll give you a hundred strips of gold pressed latinum. Wow! Oh my god, that seems more expensive. That I I don't know. It's a, it's a, when you things take place in like a, a scarcity less society, you really use a concept of what value is. But if if you if you make it to the merge on the United States television series Survivor, and you convince all of your tribe mates to name the tribe Ferengi, I will give you $100. I like it. That is the promise. And you know what? I don't think CBS would be that vehemently against it, considering that they own the, like, the Star Trek catalog. So they wouldn't exactly be infringing on any copyrights since they already own the rights. Well, just find a way. Like, you, can, you can spell it differently, mm-hmm. but it's got to be close enough. Like, you can't like, spell out like bird and say, like, yeah, that's a weird pronunciation of, of Ferengi. Ferengi. <laughs> yeah, like, it's got to be like close enough to... <laughs> pronouncing Ferengi. What's your tribe uh, name? <laughs> Ferengi. Okay, it's not uh, really... That says bird. <laughs> it's not really spelled that way. I also would like this idea of the lower thirds, like bird, uh, day 25. The lower bird. The lower bird. Uh, all right, alternate offer. If you can get your tribe to be named bird <laughs> under the same circumstances on the U.S. television series Survivor at the Merge, you can name the tribe bird. I'll give you a $50. Yeah, it's really, uh, or... Second place prize. Or, if you get them to name the tribe Bird Bird, that'll be $100. <laughs> yeah, right, right. If, if you, you get double, $50 per bird. Yeah, yeah, if you flip the double bird, if you get double bird, uh, then you, you get $100. That's the that's the bird version of Ferengi. Anyway, that's a lot of silliness, so listen for that yeah, podcast. That's, this that's is a good coming. representation, actually, of what you're going to get into. It's probably going to be like two or three hours of your time, but you know what? We're going to pass the time doing some Survivor Star Trek silliness. So, yeah, got a lot of random stuff going on on post show recaps but i mean it, it's a good time to be watching tv and i'm grateful for the opportunities so we've, we've got that we've got westworld coverage is continuing better call saul coverage is continuing killing eve coverage which just began that is continuing sporadic final fantasy 7 remake coverage that is happening uh and of course uh lost down the hatch is continuing oh and we've got the the marvel rewatch as well so you should be checking that what's out. up next iron man 2 Iron Man 2 is next. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, Justin yeah. Hammer 
unironically became one of my goofy ass favorites of the MCU. So I'm yeah, Justin Hammer's great. I'm excited for Justin Hammer. I think that'll be fun. Sam Rockwell's the best. Yeah, we're in the, we're uh, in the Rockwell Renaissance. So I wonder how much it plays there, as opposed to actually at the time. I think one of the reasons why Mickey Rourke was hired to play Whiplash was because we were in the Rourkeissance. This was like around the time of the wrestler. Yes, so I wonder how much right. that plays in retrospect. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I uh, haven't checked it out yet, but it's it's coming up soon. So that's with Kevin Mahadeo. That podcast comes out Wednesday morning, so keep an ear out for that. So just tons of stuff. Subscribe to Poster Recaps. You'll get all of that. And these shows also have show-specific feeds that you can check out as well. Um, Mike, I know you hate to do it, uh, <laughs> but we got to wrap this thing up. And I do think there's probably only one song that we could play. I mean, there is another song we could play, but I don't think that yeah. you have it readily available. Um, so just play us out the way that we need to go out. We'll be back next week to talk about the long con. I'm going to grin and bear it. Thank you all for tuning in. Take it away, Drive Shaft. And action. Hey!